Happy Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy back in your ears and back in your eyes if you're on YouTube. We are here to give you part two of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. We're going to be tackling chapter number nine, the Dark Mark, through chapter 14, the Unforgivable Curses. Today, super excited. My favorite book, we're going to say every single time, so get used to it. How you doing over there, my man Chase? <laughs> Oh, doing great, man. And I, I love it because as soon as they get used to it, then they're going to have to get used to me doing it. That's <laughs> right. Two biggest books. <laughs> Enjoy. They're going to they're gonna love it and they're going to can't stand it by the end of the... Because it made me think about it. There's going to be, what, probably six episodes of just the Goblet of Fire, then the differences. So seven in total and probably yeah. maybe more for order. So they're going to hear it all 12, 13, 14 weeks, baby. <laughs> Sunday, bloody Sunday. Gotta get used to it, baby. Coming That's right, man. Fever. Harry Potter fever today, man. Yeah, it's uh, this is uh, gonna be a good one today. This one's pretty, I mean, really starts off with a lot of action right from the beginning, right from the get-go here. And we and that's that's the kind of the reason we we break this up in a certain way on purpose, guys. It's not an accident that you know we start off. Obviously, we've got to start the book where we started, but we, it's not an accident we leave off on really cool events and start on them and then finish on them again. Like we kind of break down uh, in terms of chapters, what's a good place to catch the attention to start and what's a good place to leave it off. Not so much on a cliffhanger, but on really cool, like impactful moments that you'll remember. So it's all planned here, guys. We promise nothing's ever done by accident. Uh, <laughs> So I think that's uh, that's that's great stuff, you know. And set in the scene, you know, this is basically the same stuff you saw last week on uh, our displays here, guys. Uh, yep. If you're on YouTube, you guys are seeing it. If you're on audio, you listened to last week, you know. If not, I'll give you a quick one again. We got the the Harry Potter and Goblet Fire novel, Harry Potter and Goblet Fire film. Got some Funkos here. We're gonna introduce to my man right in the middle that you're seeing. So I got serious. Uh, over here on the right side, Dumbledore on the left side, Harry in the middle, and we're going to be introducing the other one that's sitting there in the middle. He plays a crucial role in this book, and he's going to make his appearance today. Really excited about talking about him. Yeah, no, that that's good stuff, man. Um, I always think of, because uh, we're going to talk about this guy today, who put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> <laughs> that's... We're going to definitely talk about... So we're not going to talk about that moment today, but we're going to talk about him a little bit because he, he makes his appearance and makes his a big announcement of what's going to be happening at Hogwarts. Yeah. But when that's going to be next week, when we go in next week and we talk about that, uh, we're going to have some issues there because uh, the books describe a certain <laughs> calmness and a certain demeanor, which uh, the film decide to translate into their own meaning and take it somewhere completely else. So... Uh, with that being said, though, I just also want to give a quick shout out to everybody. Thanks for clicking the like and subscribe button on the ch YouTube channel, following along on the podcast channels as well. Uh, the numbers mean a lot to us because without that, we can't do what we do. And uh, luckily, we've got great supporters. And uh, hopefully, you've been telling your friends, hide your kids, hide your wife, tell them all about Chasing Josh Back <laughs> yeah. to Fantasy because we're coming at you today with some great stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for all the reviews, by the way. You know, we keep going up in reviews. That really sets us apart. Uh, it means a lot. So still five-star reviews, man. So we're, we're, we're killing it right now. So that, that's good stuff. Um, this is your book, so I'll let you dive right into it, man. Cool. Yeah, so just to uh, set the scene again, guys, 
Today we'll be tackling favorite moments from chapter 9 through chapter 14, foreshadowed events to the same time period, uh, potential plot holes and discrepancies through that same time period, and of course, interesting facts to this time period as well. And uh, without further ado, as they say, I'm going to give us a little cheers for our malice in the chalice. We're going to get rocking and rolling and dive in. Arena full of Death Eaters and we dive in. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, spoiler alert, boys. Spoiler alert. Ladies Spoilers! And... Yeah. But you know by what? By the way, just throwing that out there, actually, that's the only thing that's really different on my screen. Mm-hmm. I was able to put the Death Eater up there today. So I was like, yeah. That's, that's right. Some scary stuff, man. Some Good call. Stuff. Yeah, if you guys check out that, if you're looking for something new on the display, Chase has added one of the Death Eater Funko Pops. And honestly, I have got to give Chase a lot of credit because he he's accumulates these merchandise, and I, the only reason I have anything at all outside of just the book on on my thing is all it's all Chase's. Seriously, outside of the book, everything you see here, the book and this cup are the only things that are actually mine. <laughs> everything else is Chase's. He's he's a merchandise collector, and I get to benefit off of that for you guys, so it's perfect. <laughs> nah, man, I'm just a, I'm just a big Harry Potter guy. I. Uh pretty soon so in the next either yeah so coming up soon you're gonna wind up actually seeing this bad boy is gonna be leaving my table and it's gonna go pull a port key <laughs> you're gonna go see it over there with jay nelly and that's right stuff over here so uh that's good stuff i actually found this i forgot to bring this up last podcast so this is actually from galaxy's edge and i've never used it but it's actually what uh the they say the mandalorian and all those people that were on tatooine this is like what they would drink i guess they call it out of oga's cantina like i guess if you would get a drink or something like it's like you're the bar glass but it even has the star wars writing on it so not harry potter but you know we still are pretty big, cool though we're big uh star wars people still that's getting into a little bit more of season two now let's not jump the that's right Pete quite yet but good stuff, man, and I'll let you take it away from here, Jay Nelly. You got it, brother. So on that cue from my man Chase, I'm going to pull out the notes here. Uh, we're going to start up with favorite moments again. We're going to kind of bounce like five each off of each other, keep the conversation flowing, making sure we're not repeating a bunch of favorite moments. We all got the same thing, so I think that's been working a lot better for us than what it was before. And <laughs> So let's go ahead and start that process off. I'll I'll go ahead and and dive right in. I've got right off the bat three paragraphs i want to read because obviously fred and george you already know by now if you don't know now you know uh (laughs) so this is the first three paragraphs right on the chapter chapter nine the dark mark uh starts off saying don't tell your mother you've been gambling mr weasley implored fred and george as they all made their way slowly down the purple carpeted stairs don't worry dad we've got big plans for this money we don't want it confiscated Mr. Weasley looked for a moment as though he was going to ask what these big plans were, but then decided upon reflection that he didn't want to know. <laughs> That's my favorite. I love it. Gotta love it, man. Um, I thought it was also pretty cool that uh, in chapter one, in page 118 in chapter 9, Harry has dreams about himself playing in the World Cup, and it's pretty cool. Have you ever had daydreams of yourself, like maybe in class, or maybe maybe it is like when you go to sleep at night, uh, you just kind of have a dream about you doing really cool things and like being like a center of attention, important on the biggest stage. Uh, you know, Harry had one of those moments. I thought that was pretty awesome. Not that he hasn't already. The dude's already the most famous wizard in the wizarding community. So like, I don't understand why he needs even more uh, FaceTime, but okay. Uh, now I'm going to jump over to page 120. 
The Death Eaters gather for the first time since Voldemort fell from power. Uh, you know, they were kind of torturing Mr. Roberts. You know, I mean, I mentioned last week some tragic stuff happens to Mr. Roberts, and this is kind of where it takes it into. Him and his wife and his son, uh, they were being contorted, their bodies into grotesque shapes, is what is said. Like, they were basically the Death Eaters had their bodies lifted in the air, and they are making them kind of almost like a puppeteer does, and making them bodies go in weird, grotesque angles, and... Yeah, one of the Death Eaters actually flipped Mrs. Roberts upside down and exposing her undergarments, which is just really sad and humiliating. It's really, really disgusting uh, act to do, especially in such an occasion where everyone's celebrating. So I thought that that sucked, but it was definitely an impact moment that needed to be brought up. Um, page one twenty one. They came across Draco Malfoy in the woods, and then there's a uh, there's a dialogue that they had with each other that I'll save for foreshadowed events. But there's a really big thing that they say there that comes into play heavy later on. And in page 123, they actually end up realizing they're on their own. They all left the campsite. Mr. Weasley had them all go together, being Fred, George, Ginny, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Well, Harry, Ron, and Hermione ended up losing Fred, George, and Ginny in that like little run to the woods and the confrontation with Malfoy. So from there, I'll pass it over to you, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, I did want to say it, it's weird thinking of these Death Eaters because, you know, some were like, cackling and we're like drunk like having fun at the same time they're almost like if i mean think of it we've talked about pokemon on the show just because you know we use the malice card they remind me of like a sick drunk version of team rocket does that make except, sense at all it does except they kill people <laughs> yeah like cutting out the like kill people and flipping them in midair exposing undergarments like I don't I it's it's odd like I can't I can't put my finger on it it's like I think the problem is because we just came from Azkaban so I'm like there's nothing worse than a Dementor <laughs> so but then it's like that's still like screwed up what they're doing at the same time like I, I'm not gonna support it either of course but at the there is like that moment where you're like oh this is just a bunch of drunk people at a party well it's <laughs> funny because you say that in just a couple minutes uh mr weasley explains why um they yeah. run away they run away here in a little bit like i don't want to get too far ahead but uh yeah you're right because right now it's like they're just like bullies on the playground that's what they're doing they're not doing anything to harm it they're just like you guys can't stop us like you know this this and that like we got a big group going they're not doing it to harm them they're doing it to show that they still got power there's still support out there for anti-muggle you know the people who hate non-magic folk and purely people like malfoys who you know pure blood this and that and so uh it's we're gonna be coming into a lot of crazy moments here but um i want you to continue on brother because that's a good point that you brought up yeah man so we we go into really this huge part here um i want to make sure i don't lose any of the details on this end as far as uh where you left off because so they have these little it didn't matter too much but like ron kind of trips over a tree like at one point and it's it really the biggest thing of like this whole environment is that the same view guys like you know things are on fire like everything's out of control it's like this massive carnival that they just woke up out of where arthur Reese is like wake up like it's an emergency and you know you had the ministry of magic but then bill and and charlie like ran off with arthur so he was just kind of like telling hermione ron and who else was with him hermione ron, harry and fred george and Ginny. 
Yeah, yeah. Fred, George, and Jenny, that's what I'm thinking of, was with Harry. And he was just kind of like, get out into the woods. So keep in mind, guys, here's the biggest thing, right? They're not, you know, I'm 29, you know, Josh, 28. You know, they're not 18, 19-year-old people. Like, he's still 14. Like, he's accomplished a, child. a lot. But for a 14-year-old, that'd be scary as hell. <laughs> like, if you think of that, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, what happens at this point is so they're seeing these flashes of green light um, that's going on. And, and this is when they have that moment where, you know, what they're seeing in the air is that big symbol that we've all seen in the movie. But, yet yeah, you have the skull and the snake, the serpent, as it's described like comes out of the mouth there's um, a couple things i want to touch on right before you get there with that yeah. with that specific mark because i think there's two or three big ones that come up be huge in page 123 harry actually loses his wand remember he put, grabs into his pocket and his yeah, wand's not there yeah. so on top of that dude think about you just mentioned he's a 14 year old child so not only is he a 14 year old child he also doesn't have a way to defend himself anymore if anything happens like he's completely like naked he's got nothing you know what i mean not like naked there's no clothes but he's got no defense if anyone were to attack him he's got to rely on harry and i'm sorry he's got to rely on hermione and ron and because at this point they already lost fred george and Ginny. so that yeah. part and also them running into winky the house elf before everything goes on like that's a huge part and as they keep going down the woods remember when the group of guys were chatting up the villa including stan shunpike who says he's about yeah. to be the youngest ever minister of magic so that was yeah, exactly. And which is kind of crazy because this is almost a favorite moment of mine, but also a foreshadow because remember what Stan Shumpike gets charged with later on in book seven. Remember? So, yeah. like, this is right here. It's a weird time. And, like, here's another thing, too. Like, think about this. At what point in time would Stan Shumpike be able to afford tickets to the World Cup? He doesn't seem like someone who'd be able to afford tickets to go there. Exactly. So, yeah. very interesting little tight tidbit. But yeah, now I'll, I'll let you go ahead and talk about that uh, that symbol in the sky because that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. those are great details. Also, like, hey, just speaking of this detail, because we're really diving into it here, Malfoy always winds up in the middle of this crap, like somehow, like he's always there. Like this is a foreshadow coming up that I won't talk too much about, but you know, he he like he always like. You have one of the worst situations right now where there's an emergency, almost like your house is burning down. And he's over here making fun of Hermione for being a mudblood. Like, don't you have better crap to do right now? Uh, which we'll get into that foreshadow uh, later on. But, um, and another thing, too, is that's when they were kind of, like, noticing a little bit of, like, um, Beau Battens and that sort of thing, which those are going to go into some foreshadowings later, but... I have that there too. I wrote down the French words and translated it to English. I have that. That's funny. Oh, go you go. For no, but that, that's that's for later. for that that's for foreshadow. That's in a little bit. Like we, you're, you're oh, still okay. good. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. That's why I kind of skipped a little bit because I didn't want to just throw. All the yeah, of course. In. Um, but yeah. So so just to describe this part, so you hear, um, Morse Masre, and something vast, green and glittering, erupted from the path of darkness. Harry's eyes had been struggling to penetrate. It flew up over the treetops and into the sky. A colossal skull compromised of what looked like it entered the stars with a serpent protruding. Emerald stars. Emerald I know you can't. I know. It, I know it's tough to read your handwriting. <laughs> so I'll help you out. I'll help Ooh. you out, bro. <laughs> there you go, man. Translation. <laughs> 
He can speak Chase. <laughs> I speak I speak Chase fluently. I've been doing it for seven years. <laughs> Malice in the chalice. Cheers, <laughs> yeah, cheers, brother. Um, it says, as it uh, as it watched it rise higher and higher, blazing in a haze of green smoke, etched against the black skies like a new constellation. Suddenly, the wood all around them erupted with screams. Harry didn't understand why, but only possible cause with sudden appearance of the skull, which had new risen high enough to illuminate the entire wood. I almost said weed there. I was like, why did they have weed in this place? <laughs> the entire wood to illuminate uh, the entire wood like some grisly neon sign. He scanned the darkness for the person who had conjured the skull, but he couldn't see anyone. Um, and that's when, you know, you have Hermione that kind of steps in a little bit later and she goes and tells him that this is the dark mark. This is Voldemort's sign. And from there, I'll let you take it from there, man. Definitely. And I also think, like, that spell itself is super cool. It sounds menacing and mean, right? Yeah. Morse Mordre! Like, that just sounds, like, really menacing. So, then the fact that, like, it looked like emerald stars with a serpent protruding from its mouth like a tongue... That was really cool. Um, but then the next thing I have that's my favorite moments, and this is something I'm going to ask you about, because like, I'm not so certain it was like, a, 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 what would have happened? We'll talk about it here. This is, let, me, let me get through it, and I'll tell you why I want to talk about it. So page 129, 20 wizards appear and shouted, stupefy. And Harry was quick enough to get them to the ground before they were blasted. And the reason why I want to talk about this, do you guys remember two weeks ago, I'm sorry, three weeks ago at this point, where we finished up the last part of Azkaban, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione all shout Expelliarmus and knock Snape out onto the bed. That's three teenagers hitting a fully grown adult, and he was knocked unconscious. If 20 wizards hit, like, fully grown trained ministry wizards hit Hermione, Ron, and Harry with those stupefy spells, it probably would have killed them. Like, that's what I really think so. It probably would have stopped their heart. Like, like 20 blasts if three blasts from teenagers knock out snape who's an accomplished wizard 20 ministry wizards firing <laughs> stupefy would probably kill 14 year olds honestly <laughs> just like, just throwing it out there yeah probably like, I mean. luckily they ducked and then got underneath it but uh <laughs> it's still something yeah. that i thought about like dude if that connected they'd probably die <laughs> like, it's, it's as we said on the last episode it's over. Over. It's game over. Yeah, you'd and, be catching a train if you know what I mean. We'll talk about that in uh, months from now. Months from now, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then page one thirty, Barty Crouch accuses Harry, Ron, and Hermione of conjuring the dark mark, which is absurd. Number one, they're children. Number two, it's it's freaking Harry Potter. Like, why is he gonna be conjuring the mark of the Dark Lord that like try to kill him? You know what I mean? So that was ridiculous. But then the Ministry Wizards on page one thirty one find Winky unconscious and that's when things start to kind of really pick up here because what ended up happening is Mr. Weasley was like listen listen, it couldn't have been the house elf and the house elves don't have wands you need a wand to conjure the dark mark and Mr. Diggory is like dude she had a wand and this is the full circle moment when we realize Harry had lost his wand Winky had a wand Harry recognizes that wand is his and yeah. so this is pretty cool too because they this this is almost like a foreshadow in and of itself but uh, he, the, there's a spell that Amos Diggory does to Harry's wand to see 
the last spell that was casted is called Prior Encantado. And basically, it's like, what was the last incantation that you produced with this wand? And you could see it, in fact, was the Dark Mark. Now, the reason why it's a foreshadow, and Winky was there unconscious, and Mr. Crouch went over there, I, we can't get into that quite yet, because that's something that, you know, the plot twists way down the line here in this book. But, like, there's a, there's a reason all of that happened. It's not, some, it's not something that's by accident by any means. So, um, I definitely wanted to do that. Also, I wanted to tell everyone what Amos Diggory's uh, role in the ministry was. He works in the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. And so, like... That's why it was so terrifying to have like Winky there because you know she's in front of the guy that would be able to sentence her to anything. Luckily for her, Mister or maybe unluckily because of what Mister Crouch ends up doing with Winky, you know, depending on the way you look at it. But yeah. he even tells Mister Diggory, like, listen, like, let me handle it, and like, no one, all respect to Barty Crouch because everyone just kind of backs off and let him do his thing because he must have some sort of clout, man. He must have been, and now we we later on he is a badass. Like in his, in his prime, he was. One of the persons who put like the most dark wizards away, like he's yeah. a he's yeah, a badass yeah. man, he's but uh, you know though. he is. And those families have skeletons, baby. That's all yeah. I'll say. But um, then actually, that before I leave it over to you, the actual words that he tells Winky, he says, "This means clothes." <laughs> like he threatens, he's like, <laughs> yeah. like but basically, what you guys mean if you guys were with us, stay in tune from Chamber of Secrets when. Uh, Malfoy, Mr. Malfoy, Lucius Malfoy, threw the diary to Dobby and it had a sock. And if you present the house up with clothes, it means you freed them. Now, for Dobby, it was a great thing. For Winky, it was like the worst thing in the world because all she wanted to do was be a good house up to her master, Barty Crouch. And she was pretty much trying to do what he wanted him, like, her to do. Unfortunately, from we find out later on with that big plot twist at the end, what actually happens, Winky gets the raw end of the deal. She should never have been let go because it wasn't her fault. But uh, with that, I'm turning it over to you. Yeah, man. Uh, speaking of Prior Encantado, it, <laughs> we don't make a whole lot of references to Westworld on the show, but it makes me think about analysis. <laughs> like playing yourself back. That's almost what it made me think That's of. cool. Yeah, that's a good one. It's so awesome. Uh, yeah, so going back to uh, Winky over here. I mean, someone's got to explain this to me. I think it goes into the whole idea of, like, brainwash we were always talking about. But, I mean, it, it makes you wonder, though, if Crouch was trying to stick up for her. But I would have to still say no, because he still had the right to make the overall decision on that. Right? I think it was more of saving his own ass because of the secret there and who like yeah. what else was in the woods at that time that comes to light later on in the book. I think it was more because if they were able to question Winky, he was probably afraid of the information that Winky would give up to the other ministry departments. Right. So I think that's what it was. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, so going back to a Winky over here. No! Shrinked Winky prostrating herself at Crouch's feet. No, master. No clothes. Harry knew the only way to turn a house elf free was to present with proper garments, just like Jay Nelly was saying over there. It was pitiful to see the way Winky clutched at her tea towel as she sobbed over Mr. Crouch's feet. I have no use for a house elf that disobeys me, Crouch said coldly. 
looking over Hermione. I have no use for a servant who forgets what is due to her master and to her master's reputation. Winky was crying so hard that her sobs echoed around the, around the clearing. There was a very nasty silence, which was ended by Mr. Weasley, who said quietly, Well, I think I'll take my lock back to the tent, if nobody's got any objections. Amos, that wand's told us all it can. Harry, could I have it back, please? And I just felt, like, so sorry for this elf. Like, it's like, you want to be happy. Like, she's free. But it, it gives you that sense of almost, like, almost like if you, like, like someone Dude, was, like, a, a do you know the, child or something. Do you know the perfect analogy for that? Or, like, the perfect, like, correlation? Remember in Game of Thrones when Ramsay had Theon and she went to go break out Theon, but Theon didn't want to be saved? And that was, like, the, this is turning into a perfect. lovely evening. Like, it's perfect because they, they get there. They're ready to save him, bust him out. You're going to be free, Theon. We got you. And Theon's like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Freak. <laughs> so I think that was a great, great correlation with that, man. Oh, it's like, excellent, man. Yeah. It's, it's just like, it's, it's, it, that's exactly what it is. Like, we talked about last time. Like, it's something to do with just the way she has gone it's almost like people if they believe like you know this person should be working in the kitchen all day or something like it's like but they've convinced themselves that's just the way of life it's just very odd to me yeah man with that uh back over to you brother awesome I did have some things like Hermione defending Winky. That was a favorite moment because she just stood up to like a ministry official like with like no hesitation at all. That's also kind of a foreshadow moment for what she ends up you know partaking in that we actually get into today. Um, but I, I did want to just make that mention that she kind of stood up to Barty Crouch where all the other these ministry officials like took a back seat to him and she's a 14 year old girl saying you don't treat her like that. Like so I thought that, like I give Hermione her props there. Uh, another thing here on page 141, like the dark mark hasn't been seen in 13 years. And Mr. Weasley even tells Ron, she goes, Ron, you know who and his followers sent the dark mark into the air whenever they killed. The terror it inspired, you have no idea. You're too young. Just picture coming home and finding the dark mark hovering over your house and knowing what you're about to find inside. So that's the, uh, that's the sad part there is because like, because what they were asking, they're like, well, why is everyone so afraid of this sign? It's just like a symbol. And then Mr. Weasley's like, well, dude, there's a reason why. Like, you know, you, you see that symbol, you go inside, everyone in that house is dead. That's why it scares everybody. Yeah. So I thought that was crazy. Uh, and then th- this is the first time that we hear... I mean, the, the name Death Eaters was in one of the previous books, but this is the first time that it makes a correlation with, like, Death Eaters were the names of, like, Voldemort's supporters and talks a little bit more in, in depth there. just want to bring that up. Um... Now, in page 143, in the third paragraph, this is exactly what we were just talking about not too long ago. This is what Ron asks. He says, but if they were Death Eaters, why did they disapparate when they saw the Dark Mark? They'd have been pleased to see it, wouldn't they? And then Bill says, use your brains, Ron. If they were really Death Eaters, they worked very hard to keep out of Azkaban when you know who lost power and told all sorts of lies about him, forcing them to kill and torture people. I bet they'd be even more frightened than the rest of us to see him come back because they denied they'd ever been involved with him when he lost his powers and went back to their daily lives. 
I don't reckon Voldemort would be overly pleased with them, do you? And this is a big thing there because the reason why this Dark Moment was casted was because he wanted... The, the person who casted the spell wanted to terrify the Death Eaters on purpose. That was the whole point of it. So I thought that was really, really important to read there. Now on page 144, uh, this the, the third paragraph in page 144, uh, he tells him, Three days ago, it felt like much longer, but it had only been three days he had woken with a scar burning. And tonight, for the first time in 13 years, Lord Voldemort's mark had appeared in the sky. What did these things mean? So that's, you know, we're starting, the, the pieces of the puzzle are starting, like the chessboard is starting to move pieces into, piece here, pieces into place here. So I thought that was pretty crazy. And then just last thing, uh, before I turn it back to Chase, is that in page 145, Mr. Roberts, who was the muggle who they were torturing above, like, like with their wands and making him, you know, body contorted into weird angles. Like, they had to modify his memory so heavily that he was wildly confused about what was going on. He thought it was Christmas in the middle of July. Like, or August, actually. He thought it was Christmas time. So they uh, they had to modify his memory because remember what happened to Professor Lockhart when they like when the Ron's wand backfired, Professor Lockhart like not to get too far ahead of ourselves he's he's in a certain location right now because he can't really take care of himself anymore. So uh, the fact is is that these wizards, Ministry wizards, had to modify his brain so heavily. He's like, well, I wonder if there's any going to be any long term standing effects. But with that, dude, it is all you, my brother. Yeah, man. No, you you hit the nail on the head. Um, I did put down here just showing how, you know, kind of what a, a beast Bill is. Like, he kind of takes the leadership role a little bit during that whole situation because he was actually the first one uh, to tell Harry that they were called Death Eaters. Just um, kind of jumping on what you were saying. Because he said, Harry goes, Death Eaters? What are Death Eaters? And he says, it's what you know whose supporters called themselves said bill i think we saw what's left of them tonight the ones who managed to keep themselves out of azkaban anyways and it, it's it's just cool because you're kind of seeing uh you know bill start to kind of live up to his reputation immediately and we've never seen anything really from him besides this book um mr weasley uh at this point what i have is uh that it was only Death Eaters that knew how to conjure the Dark Mark, um, which is which is really big. Like it, which I was really even surprised about when I was reading it for the first time because you would think at least other wizards would know how to conjure it. Like it wouldn't be like such a big secret, but that that's really what it shows. Um, and uh, you know, from here that's when i have we're really going to start to go into chapter 10 did you have anything in between there no dude that's pretty much where i am is right on right on chapter 10 the one thing i wanted to add to that just to answer your question or like just uh, make a statement about your comment there like it makes sense to me why most many wizards don't know how to conjure it because it's almost like if you're in a secret club there's like a password that only you know and the people in your club know right i know it's like a way less like correlation but it makes sense that like the Death Eaters are the only ones that would know how to conjure this thing, because Voldemort would only teach them how to conjure. Remember, there's something on their arms that I won't get too much in there, where yeah. that helps them do that. And if you don't have that on your arm, 
you're not going to be conjuring that uh, that spell. So. Do you think Dumbledore ever figured it out though? Oh, for so, sure. I'm. I mean, I. I feel like Dumbledore knows a lot about everything, to be honest. Because remember in the beginning, like that even in Sorcerer's Stone, Professor McGonagall, she's like tells Dumbledore that he's the only one you know who ever feared. And Dumbledore is like, you know, Voldemort's got powers way beyond what I can imagine. And McGonagall's like, only because you're too noble to use them. So like, it makes it seem like he knows them. He just is a good guy for the most part. So. Yeah, that that's what I'll say. But that was more of what I was thinking. Like, I was thinking more of like, I understand it's a secret club, but I would be surprised if someone that high up hasn't looked into it. I'm Especially sure. With all the time he spent <laughs> getting to know his details, which we talk about in some of the later books. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, and I'll turn it back over to you, man. All right. So yeah, I'm right here at chapter ten with you. That's uh, right after the like Mr. Roberts being confused and thinking it's quit, uh, Christmas. I just thought this was funny in page 150. Like, Ron, because like, like Harry's kind of nervous right now, everything, because he finally tells them about his scar hurting at, uh, at like, back in chapter two when he wakes up from the dream. And so they, they kind of react kind of basically exactly how he anticipated they would have back then. And so, uh, you know, they're trying to get his mind off of what happened at the Quidditch World Cup by playing Quidditch. I don't know. That, 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 that just made me laugh a yeah. little bit. It's like, <laughs> like let's let's take our mind off of what just happened at the Quidditch World Cup by playing Quidditch. <laughs> like, I thought that was interesting. Um, and then, uh, then on page 151, they're complaining about the... Uh, talking about the complaints that were received. Uh, that like, and, like, I must want to talk about how that probably happens in the real world, too. Like, our government probably receives complaints on a daily basis from people upset of how they're handling operations and so the ministry of magic that's what basically percy and mr weasley have been running in and out of work for the remainder of the summer vacation because they're scrambling trying to get ahead of this big old snafu i'll say because it's supposed to be a really heavily guarded event it's the first you know it's a it's a quidditch world cup it's the biggest event sporting wise in the wizarding world then on top of that they got this other event coming up later on so like they must have been like they must have been slammed, and it makes me not really feel bad for, it, but at least appreciate the people's position who get voted into office and have to deal with like the complaints from the everyday you and me type people who would send our thoughts into them. You probably probably get thousands of mail mail letters a day, emails, all that stuff. So, um, also on page one fifty one, this could be more considered a foreshadowed event, but I also liked it as well because we got to see the Weasley's clock in detail. Like, it actually talks about, uh, you know, the, the clock was completely useless if you wanted to know the time, but otherwise it was very informative. It had nine golden hands. Each one of them was engraved with one of the Weasley family's names. There were no numerals around the face, but descriptions of where each family member might be. Home, school, work were there, but there was also traveling, lost, hospital, prison, and in the position where the number 12 would be on a normal clock, mortal peril. And that is a huge foreshadow for your book coming up uh, in a little, in the, you know, in the near distant future, right? Um, <laughs> near distant, I would say. Did you like that? <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing I'll do, because uh, I know that you like Bill a little bit. One fifty-two. I just like thought it was funny that uh, they were. She's Mrs. Weasley's still trying to get Bill to cut his hair because they made, they made a mention of Bill, and she's like, "You, it is getting a bit long. You should just let me cut it." And I was like, "Dude, my ain't happening. Sorry." But. Uh, <laughs> I'll turn it over to you because this is where we learn about a certain reporter who gets herself into 
uh, she's she's kind of a sneak, and that's pretty oh, cool yeah. too. So no, definitely, and and she plays, I would say, a significant role <laughs> throughout this. Book. Oh, one hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. But Rita Skeeter, man, she's, and I come from the journalism background, so if I think someone's bad, <laughs> they're they're bad. That's messed up. Uh, and Mr. Weasley, basically, what's going on is she quoted him as in the title for what happened over at the Quidditch World Cup ministry blinders culprits not apprehended lacks security dark wizards running unchecked national disgrace so like you have Arthur Weasley that's like in one of these top positions trying to keep everything smooth and then it looks like they were just like not paying attention to anything like you could do whatever you wanted, almost like if fans like wanted to throw eggs over at at the Bulgarians, they'd be more than welcome to do it. I kind of have a question about that though, because you said he's got a top position. He's actually like the head of the misuse of Muggle artifacts. Like, how does that correlate to what happened at the Quidditch World Cup? I think if yeah. I'm going to answer my own question, I think it's more because he gave a statement to the people saying like. Like I'm just trying to get my sons to sleep. Like, like, like I don't know anything. Like, maybe it's because of that, and they like heard him say that. Maybe that's why he's involved with this because he made it worse. But I mean, he like, there's nothing to do with like the misuse of Muggle artifacts in this situation. So yeah, I was wondering that too because, like, how he really got into that press. I think it's because of what he said when they were when they got back from the woods when Harry got his wand back and they left and they all asked him like around just hover around his tent asked him questions and he's like look I don't know anything that you don't know leave me alone I'm trying to get my kids to bed like like I'm trying to take care of my family right now like leave me alone and I think that's because that that's uh, Rita had her way of learning uh, how he said that which we'll learn about way later in the book. And then that's why she was quoted with that, and like that's why the ministry blunders. No one's giving anyone any information, like with like withholding it from the public, and that I think that might be probably the reason. But no, I think I think that's a good point because I was trying to think of something that actually does come up in this episode that we'll talk about on how he helped someone pretty significantly, but like still, that's from like Muggle artifacts. So, like, I don't know what a whole Death Eater terror attack would have anything to do with Muggle artifacts. Uh, Muggles can't even find the place. Like, you brought it up in the last episode. Like, it's, you know, the entire place was covered in, in... memory charms right wasn't it memory charms where they were yeah like you would you would show up there and forget that you had an appointment and then like immediately leave yeah (laughs) i i I think it had everything to do with him making that statement and then like with the statement she was there and heard him say it because of what we know she's able to do and uh i think that she quoted him and because of that he made the situation worse and so he feels guilty and has been trying to help you know save face for the ministry it's my that's my opinion i don't know I think so too. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, just to knock a couple of these out real quick. Um, so Harry finally tells Ron and Hermione that he was dreaming about Voldemort, Frank, and Wormtail, which is pretty big because, you know, he's never really had anything that vivid, I guess, before is the way I would kind of describe it as far as where the scar goes. Like, of course, it's burned and, you know, felt like it's splitting his head open but not where it's so far distant away um and then of course 
Hermione. Uh, this was pretty cool. This is when uh, my girl really, uh, I gained a lot of respect for her <laughs> at this point. She stuck up for, she defends Winky, is what she kind of starts to do. Uh, she goes, if you ask me, Mr. Crouch is very lucky no one at the Daily Prophet knows how mean he is to elves, said Hermione angrily. And then, you know, this is when Percy and a lot of the Weasleys kind of like, are like, hey now, like trying to put her in her place at here, and she stands her ground, man. It, Percy goes, now look here, Hermione. And then uh, a high-ranking ministry official like Mr. Crouch deserves unswerving obedience from his servants. His slave, you mean, said Hermione, uh, her voice rising passionately because he didn't pay Winky. He didn't pay Winky, did he? And it just goes like, no matter how high up, like you were saying, these people are, she's standing her ground. I mean, yeah, they might have, I agree with you, maybe they overblew her character in like Sorcerer's Stone, uh, even in Chamber of Secrets. I'll, I'll give you that a little bit. I mean, of course, I love kind of her ability to f with potions and that sort of thing well keep in mind i only said that for the film's portrayal not what the book has done for her like the book the book did a yeah. gradual lead up which i'm happy with that's why i came around to like her in my own time it's the fact that the movies kept trying to push her that upset me but. yeah which is even more ridiculous because the movie never even mentions any of this <laughs> like the biggest part hermione ever has like this isn't even in the film We'll get into our differences, you know, when we get into those. Yeah. <laughs> but that'll be later on. But, yeah, man, this is when she really, like, uh, shocked me, like, made a statement in my mind. Because think about it. Like you were saying, this is a 14-year-old girl, like, standing up for something like this. And, and yeah, Percy, that was head boy that's over here working at, uh, what is it, the Department of International magistries or something something no, like that uh, I, I can't remember he works on cauldrons this is what i put in my head uh i talked about it last episode but um i mean it's a big deal because she's only 14 and she's making these kind of statements so with that i'll turn it back over to you man cool uh so then page 154 it actually comes out that rita skeeter has figured out that uh bertha jorkins has been missing and that's going to be a big problem for the ministry because we have, that's something that comes up later. But that's, that's definitely a big moment there. Uh, I thought it was nice. We talked, you talked about it last week, Mrs. Weasley, like telling Harry he'll, she'll get his stuff for school. He, now he's got it all. And we actually uh, see some dress robes, which I'll, those are more for foreshadowed events. I'll leave that for that. But uh, other things I thought were cool, page 159, Amos Diggory's head sticking out of the fireplace and Mrs. Weasley like giving him toast. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was cool. And then uh, page 161, we learn about Mad-Eye Moody. And that, uh, so this is, this is what is said about Mad-Eye Moody. He's retired. He used to work at the ministry, said Charlie. I met him once when Dad took me to work with him. He was an Auror, one of the best, a dark wizard catcher. So we get a couple things here. We get to know that Mad-Eye Moody was an Auror, and now we also know what Aurors do. They catch dark wizards and place them in Azkaban so he said he, he added seeing Harry's blank look half the cells in Azkaban are full because of him he made himself loads of enemies though the families of the people he caught mainly 
and I heard he's been getting really paranoid in his old age, doesn't trust anyone anymore, and sees dark mark dark wizards everywhere, which that's a big foreshadow for <laughs> everything that happens in this book, really. Uh, but now we get to learn a little bit about Mad-Eye, which was nice because he plays a big role. Now, maybe I'll wait until we get to Hogwarts to have my issues I have with how the movie portrayed him. But I, in my mind, he looked a lot different in my head when I read the book than what they characterized him on screen. And I'll, I'll say that a little bit later when we get there. But uh, uh, page 162, they actually had to take muggle taxis to King's Cross. So they, didn't be able, they weren't able to travel and get any ministry cards because the ministry was scrambling trying to figure this out. Crookshanks was like scratching the leg of the taxi driver. And all of them had some cat scratches by the end of that trip. And uh, it was also cool too because on page 167, and I think this could be considered a foreshadow as well. You, you can actually enchant a building so it's impossible to plot on a map. That was really, really cool for me. So, because this is when they're talking about the two schools. And I'll, I'll let Chase go into a little bit more of the two schools because I know he's got some interesting facts about the two schools. But, um, yeah. So then, I think that is where I will leave what I've got there and give it to you. Because right now, I'm kind of right at Chapter 11 aboard the Hogwarts Express. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, you hit most of those. Uh, well, really, you, you nailed pretty much all the ones I had. I was just going to say... Just a little more detail about when Miss Weasley, this thing really stuck out to me because I love, she kind of holds her ground here, when she hands Ron his robes, and you know, you gotta think, like, yeah, they don't have a lot of money, but she still works her butt off to give this family everything she can, and Ron is just being a complete ass, excuse my language, and he goes, I'm never wearing them, Ron was saying stubbornly, never, fine snapped miss weasley go naked and harry make sure you get a picture of him goodness knows i could do with a laugh <laughs> i thought it was great <laughs> <laughs> like she just worked her ass off making these robes for him which i understand it's not exactly traditional and not what most people had but she's doing everything she can just like even back in chamber of secrets she's a good mom Where she yeah like she says we'll manage they don't i mean they have so many i mean they do everything they can for all the kids they have and he's just being an ass let's count the kids they've got bill charlie percy fred george ron jenny they've got seven kids man and like from what i understand mrs weasley doesn't work so it's all on mr weasley and his misuse of muggle artifacts office like you know like like that's a lot to put on him to to, you know care for seven kids like that's a lot man it's a lot but no, I'll let you take us away with chapter 11, because I was right there. Oh, dope. Awesome. Uh, well, the first thing I have here is, because I think this is hilarious, and I also get annoyed that uh, they don't bring him up at all in the movies, but Peeves, he drops a water balloon on Ron's head. Like, yeah. just smashes <laughs> it over his head. Um, I thought that was interesting. I'm also going to go into the Sorting Hat's new song. I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it. Because I ain't got no vocals. (laughs) He said, factor melody, baby. So, also I think it's important to note that Harry has not been able to witness the sorting since his own. Because in the Chamber of Secrets, he crashed the car with Ron and the uh, uh, Whomping Willow. And then in in Azkaban, remember he collapsed on the train with the Dementors. And and Professor McGonagall took him to the office with Hermione. And when 
so she was talking to Hermione about the time turner and Harry had to wait for them to be done and go down to the feast together so this is the first sorting that Harry's been able to witness since he was being sorted himself anyways uh, then a long tear brim opened wide like a mouth and the hat broke into song a thousand years or more ago when I was newly sown there lived four wizards of renown whose names are still well known Bold Gryffindor from Wildmoor, Fair Ravenclaw from Glen, Sweet Hufflepuff from Valley Broad, Shrewd Slytherin from Fen. They shared a wish, a hope, a dream. They hatched a daring plan to educate young sorcerers. Thus Hogwarts school began. Now each of these four founders formed their own house for each, did value different virtues in the ones they had to teach. By Gryffindor, the bravest were prized far beyond the rest. For Ravenclaw, the cleverest would always be the best. For Hufflepuff, hard workers were most worthy of admission, and power-hungry Slytherin loved those of great ambition. While still alive, they did divide their favorites from the throng, yet how to pick the worthy ones when they were dead and gone? T'was Gryffindor who found the way, he whipped me off his head. The founders put some brains in me so I could choose instead. Now slip me snug around your ears, I've yet never been wrong. I'll have a look inside your mind and tell you where you belong. And that is the Sorting Hat song. <laughs> and they even said, like, uh, it's it's different every single year. He said, Ron tells him, he sings a different one every year. It's got to be a pretty boring life, hasn't it, being a hat? I suppose he spends all year making up the next one. So that's why it does differ from the song that we hear in Sorcerer's Stone that uh, the Sorting Hat sings. Now, after that... Uh, we Harry obviously gets to witness the first sorting of his own. Now, the only Gryffindor that's mentioned by name during the sorting is Dennis Creevy, which is Colin Creevy, his little brother. And the reason I mention that is because there's a couple, there's a few Hufflepuffs, a couple Ravenclaws, and a few Slytherins. Only one Gryffindor is mentioned, which I found that pretty interesting. So... I don't know if they're getting more selective, or maybe they just, like, J.K. Rowling is like, you know what, we don't need to add much more Gryffindors, but, like, <laughs> like straight up, like, uh, Ravenclaw was the first one sorted, it was Stuart Ackerley, he took the hat off, and this is kind of like a, a foreshadow, I'll leave this for them, but then, you know, Malcolm Baddock was a Slytherin, Eleanor Branstone was a Hufflepuff, Owen Caldwell Hufflepuff, Dennis Creevy was the first and only Gryffindor mention, then it goes on to... Uh, uh, Graham Pritchard, who went to Slytherin, and Orla Quirk, which is a Ravenclaw, and lastly, Kevin Whitby, Hufflepuff. So, Dennis Creevy was the only Gryffindor mentioned here to be sorted into Gryffindor in the Goblet of Fire. Just a small tidbit I found pretty cool. And the last thing I'll have before I turn it over to Chase is that when Dennis Creevy does get to the Gryffindor table, he tells his brother how he fell in the lake and how the giant squid put him back in the boat, and I thought that was pretty cool. That's a big uh, foreshadowing moment as well, uh, just throwing that out there. Um, kind of taking a step back, just a little bit back to the Hogwarts Express, uh, one thing I did want to bring up is, uh, remember, Arthur gets that call, um, and it was from, wasn't it Mr. Diggory? Yeah, the, the, when, he, when he put the toast, she put the toast in his mouth, yeah. Like it was, yeah, yeah. it was a flu powder. He only his head appeared in the fire, so it was basically his head and a beard was in the fire of the. Uh, just like you were saying when you brought up the interesting facts last week, when they would just sit there and spy on the Muggles reading their credit card information. He his head was just right. sitting there in the in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But that was kind of a big thing for me because he was bringing up uh, how we were saying. He said he was apologizing to Molly, but he was like, sorry for bothering you so early, uh, Molly, and everything. Arthur's the only one who can get Mad-Eye, Mad-Eye off, and Mad-Eye's supposed to be starting a new job today. That's a big foreshadowing moment. Yep. So I probably should have brought that up later. But um, the point being is Mad-Eye... Remember, we were talking about just a minute ago. He had, it was like dust bins. Did I say it right? Yeah, dust bins. Dust yep. Bins. yep, dust bins. Yeah, that like went out of control. <laughs> like he's being like pursued for it is, is what's going on. Another one I wanted to bring up here, which isn't that big of a deal. Um, actually, we'll leave those for foreshadowing moments. I was just going to say how much of an ass Malfoy is on the train. So everyone just know that, and we'll leave those for foreshadowing because it, it definitely brings up some spoilers. But yeah, the dude is just uncalled for. Like it's uncalled for. Some of, some of the stuff this guy says, I would I would have wanted to beat this kid's ass so so bad. Um, from here, uh, I did love how you brought out Peeves the po- Poltergeist. That was awesome in the in the Sorting Hat song, of course. Um, uh, so let's see here. So the, uh, yeah, uh, that's why I was gonna say about the Sorting Hat song that you were saying. It changes every year. Ron was even telling Harry, uh, it, when Harry was like, "That's not the song he's singing when they started with us," and they were like clapping along and everything. He goes, he sings a different one every year. So even though it's about the same thing, like I'll just make a different old song up for this. So very talented. I, I like it. I thought it was good. Um, you already mentioned Colin and everyone that was sorted there. Um, here's the big one, and it's funny because it's <laughs> it was really perfect timing because you know I'm passionate about my girl over here. But nearly headless Nick, man, he's like saying he he brings up the fact that house elves. This goes into what a, a little bit I was talking about last episode. Hogwarts has house elves, so most people didn't know that. And they it, nearly had this. Nick says, "There are house elves." Hermione is like, "There are house elves here." She says, uh, staring in horror struck at nearly headless Nick here at Hogwarts. Certainly," <laughs> said nearly headless Nick, looking surprised at her reaction. The largest number in dwellings in Britain, I believe, over a hundred. I've never seen one," said Hermione. "Well, they hardly ever leave the kitchen by day, do they?" <laughs> Uh, said nearly headless Nick. They come out at night to do a little bit of cleaning, see to the, you know, see to the fires and so on. I mean, you're not supposed to see them, are you? That's the mark of a good house elf, isn't it? <laughs> you don't know they're there. <laughs> and then Hermione's getting pretty, pretty pissed here. And she, she goes, but do they get paid? Uh, they get holidays off, don't they? Uh, and then and sick leave and pensions and everything and nearly headless nick goes <laughs> like sits there and goes so much that a rough shift in his head flipped off and diggling so far as an itch as a ghostly skin and muscle that's still attached to his neck sick leave and pensions he says <laughs> pushing his head back onto his shoulders and securing it once more with house elves why do they need sick leave and pensions? 
So that's so Oh my word, it's just insane because on top of that, do you think of it this way? This is a guy they've it literally went to his death day party. They've known him for years at this point. And he's literally laughing in this 14-year-old girl's face. Like, she, she, she's an idiot. Like, you have no idea what you're talking about. These people don't need pensions. They don't need 401ks. No. <laughs> that is not the way we do things here. So that really stuck out to me there. Um, also, this is uh, when we kind of get into the big stuff. Uh, I'll just leave it at this little note here, and I'll let you take it away. Dumbledore says, and this kind of opens up, you know, opens up the sea right here, man. He goes, it is also my painful duty to inform you that Interhouse Quidditch Cup will not take place this year. And I'll, I'll leave it at that and I'll, I'll let you take it away, man. Yeah, man. That's pretty much where I was going to, there's one thing before that I'm just going to mention. And this is, this is just something I liked personally. Uh, Dumbledore talks like about Mr. Filch. He says, Mr. Filch, the caretaker, has asked me to tell you that the list of objects forbidden inside the castle this year has been extended to include screaming yo-yos, fanged frisbees, and ever-bashing boomerangs. The full list comprised some 437 items, I believe, can be viewed in Mr. Filch's office if anybody would like to check it. <laughs> All the There's 437 items that Filch has banned because he's just, he's just a tool. But, um, yeah, like you said, we learned that Quidditch will not be happening this year. Uh, this is the part, though, that Mad-Eye Moody actually enters the Great Hall before Dumbledore drops the bomb on whether it's going to take the place of Quidditch this year. And so what I want to explain what I thought Mad-Eye Moody was going to look like. From what he looks like in the illustration in Goblet of Fire on the page there, he really seemed to me like he was going to be like... A Native American chief, almost. Like he, to me, he seemed like a Native American chief that had a lot of scars on his face. Uh, you know, been through hell and back. You know, not some, you know, definitely... The one that plays in the movie is, like, overweight a little bit. Definitely didn't seem like he used to be a warrior. Like, I'm thinking, like, some guy used to be in the trenches. Like, he may not be in his prime, but still, like, in good basic physical condition outside the fact that he doesn't have one leg. You know, someone you wouldn't want to mess with. Someone that just looks terrifying. And the way they portrayed him in the film just didn't really fit that for me. They made him just, like, some white guy with, like, who was a little bit overweight with a magical eye. Like, I, you could, they could have done so much better with Mad-Eye Moody. Uh, but, yeah, that was my impression when I read this book. I thought he was going to look more like a Native American, like, you know, chief of a clan and, you know, scarred, withered face, like leather and, you know, he, like, the, obviously the eye kind of being similar, being able to swirl around. But the, remember, even it says that he's got one wooden leg and, like, a clawed foot at the bottom of that wooden leg. And, like, in, in the movie, you just don't see that. It's just, it's just a shame. But what, what did you think when you first read the description of Madame Moody? What did he look like to you? That, that's a very interesting point you made. First of all, like in the book, I feel like he... It's just based on... If you haven't read the book, in the book, we Josh and I have talked about this before. It has like illustrations there that kind of like give you somewhat of an idea like when you're looking at it. And like Mad-Eye Moody, to me, he reminded me of like almost like a, a doctor that was like all cut up and deranged with long black hair. Um, with like this eye kind of thing, um, I, that I like the whole 
uh, Native American chief thing. I thought that was really cool. You said that. Um, he reminded me. He, he didn't look anything to me like in the the show. Um, maybe it's because I try not to think about the clawed foot as much because I see it as more foreshadowing. It depending on how you want to interpret that. Um, he reminded me of like a. I thought he was like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre doctor kind of guy. <laughs> that was like uh, super smart, like disgusting looking, but at the same time, like you, yeah, like what are you gonna do? Like he's your professor and he knows what he's talking about, so you just kind of learn to deal with it. Like a guy that's up his own rear end all the time. <laughs> so and like yeah, that's kind of what I thought. And even here, so now I can formally introduce him on screen to you guys. Now that we've talked about Mad-Eye Moody, that is who is next to Harry on screen if you're watching on the YouTube channel. If you're not, just listen to my words. But even in this Funko Pop of Mad-Eye Moody here, he doesn't even have a wooden leg. He's got both his legs. Like, they just don't do a great job of characterization on a lot of these characters. Like, they did, they did okay for, like, the main ones. But man, for these supporting roles, those the supporting ones kind of make everything seem more believable and real. And they just hit, they missed yeah. the mark with uh, a lot of what they did with the movies. But, anyways, I'll, I'll continue on. Um, oh, yeah, I was gonna, oh, sorry. I just thinking of what you said. Even the main ones, though, like I still feel like, like I love Emma Watson. I think she, she's awesome. Like, I think she's probably the best one out of the ones that are portrayed. But even going to that, like in the book, Hermione isn't really like this super attractive girl like you gotta make her attractive but she really has like she's super smart with bushy hair and they describe her as having like big teeth like kind of like beaver teeth or something like I mean it's really like you fall fond of her because who she becomes to be um like I guess I guess that's kind of the same maybe because I guess Emma Watson kind of did wind up being that but it's still I feel like the same way even like the main character even Harry for instance like Daniel Radcliffe we won't go into that I think Daniel Radcliffe's a great guy (laughs) yeah anyways but even Harry for instance he seemed more of almost like um I don't know not like a nerdy guy but like a athletic kind of almost like something I would see in Lemony Snicket. <laughs> like I, that sounds very strange to say. Do you understand what I'm saying? That sounds very weird. I guess. The thing is like I just I just don't happen to agree with you. I just happen to think that like they did a great job with the three in terms well Ron is a little bit different for me when I than I thought Ron was gonna look like. I thought Ron almost kind of looked like Ron Stoppable from Kim Possible with just red hair and freckles, like yeah, you know, just. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, Emma Watson I think was great because it, it showed her progression in the books, very similar to how it did on screen. Because remember, it actually it's this book later on when a certain event takes place where you know Hermione ends up being like breathtakingly beautiful. I won't get into it. It is. And so you know, it's almost like she grew into that, just like she did from a kid on screen. Like I think that was she a did, spot yeah. on cast for for Hermione. I still, I think, you know, I just don't know who else you would put for Harry than, than Daniel Radcliffe. I don't know if I've seen anyone else yeah, that would kind of fit the mold. I, I think they did pretty good with him. Um, I think they did good. I mean, but it's I just the supporting ones that really bother me. The supporting ones really yeah. upset me. Like, 
Like, Professor Lupin didn't look like how I thought Professor Lupin would look. Mad-Eye Moody does not look like I thought he would look. Uh, Dumbledore... Put your name in the Goblin of Fire. <laughs> Dumbledore did up until book... Unfortunately, it wasn't their fault, right? Because he passed away in real life. Up until um, last movie, uh, you know, for Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, they did a great job with Dumbledore. And then I think they messed up the casting uh, from there with that. But I won't get too much into it. I know I'm kind of digressing. It's just one of those things. We're getting introduced to a new character, and I'm really excited to see him on on screen. And you see him on screen, and you're like, this guy fought a bunch of dark wizards and won? Okay. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know, man. <laughs> so he just doesn't look formidable, right? The guy that we see on screen doesn't look like someone who used to be a badass and put dark wizards into Azkaban. And that's what I was kind of looking forward to seeing. So I don't know. Uh, but yeah, then just in page 186, we get the, uh, the full uh, disclosure here. I'll actually go ahead and read it. Uh... <laughs> So as I was saying, Dumbledore said, smiling at the sea of students before him, all of who were gazed transfixed on Mad-Eye Moody, we are to have the honor of hosting a very exciting event over the coming months, an event that has not been held for over a century. It is my very great pleasure to inform you that the Triwizard Tournament will be taking place at Hogwarts this year. You're joking, said Fred Weasley loudly. The tension that had filled the hall ever since Moody's arrival suddenly broke. Nearly everyone laughed, and Dumbledore chuckled appreciatively. I am not joking, Mr. Weasley, he said, though now that you did mention it, I did hear an excellent one over the summer about a troll, a hag, and a leprechaun who all go into a bar, and Professor McGonagall clears her throat loudly. Uh, but maybe this is not the time. No, <laughs> said Mr. Dumbledore, Professor Dumbledore. Where was I? Ah, yes, the Triwizard Tournament. Well, some of you will not know what this tournament involves, so I hope those who do will forgive me giving a short explanation and allow their attention to wander freely. The Triwizard Tournament was first established some 700 years ago as a friendly competition between three largest European schools of wizardry, Hogwarts, Bow Battens, and Durmstrang. A champion was selected to represent each school, and the three champions competed in three magical tasks. The schools took it in turns to host the tournament once every five years, and it was generally agreed to be a most excellent way of establishing ties between young witches and wizards of different nationalities. Until, that is, the death, hole, death toll mounted so high that the tournament was discontinued. Death toll, Hermione whispered, looking alarmed, but her anxiety did not seem to be shared by the majority of the students in the hall. Many of them were whispering excitedly to one another, and Harry himself was far more interested in hearing about the tournament than worrying about deaths that happened hundred years of years ago. There have been several attempts over the centuries to reinstate the tournament, Dumbledore continued, none of which has been very successful. However, our own Department of International Magical Cooperation and Magical Games and Sports have decided the time is ripe for another attempt. We, uh, attempt. we have worked hard over the summer to ensure that this time, no champion will find himself or herself in mortal danger. That last sentence is a big foreshadow, so <laughs> I'll say that. But uh, yeah, with that being said, and the, and the Triwizard Tournament being announced i'm gonna turn it over to chase yeah uh just a couple things i'll say first of all like out of that big speech you gave i'm surprised you didn't pick up on this so that joke is the same exact joke that we talked about on the show in game of thrones so that joke was changed <laughs> that was added into this book into it was a troll a hag and a leprechaun in Game of Thrones, they gave it to Tyrion, 
and they changed it into it was a Lannister, a Baratheon, and I can't remember what it was. A Stark. It was, yeah, it was a a Stark. A Stark. Yeah, a Stark, Lannister, and Baratheon, right? And uh, that was back when you know he's like spit it out, you wee shit. Yep. Spit it out. <laughs> yeah. So it's just so funny. That's the biggest thing that struck me for that joke was it's so funny like we don't plan this at all and somehow these things are all connected like now you had westworld that had a cameo for game of thrones and then now it's like kind of like game of thrones is making its cameo in here even though i guess it game of thrones came after this right so no it's cool how jk rowling takes things from you know other people not other people but you know got it from somewhere else right um i'm surprised you didn't bring up the whole massive entrance like what i put up was grand entrance of mad eye moody <laughs> the lightning struck he had his stick there it comes out of nowhere just to read this how uh, just because i was like wow this is like one of the rudest things i've ever seen like dumbledore had to kind of like take him off to the side uh for a minute because he goes here's here's kind of how this worked is he goes but at the moment there was a deafening rumble of thunder and the doors of the great hall banged open a man stood in the doorway leaning upon a long staff shrouded in a black traveling coat cloak every head in the great hall swiveled and towards the stranger suddenly brightly illuminated by a fork of lightning that flashed across the ceiling he lowered his head shook out a long a long, uh, I can't ever read my writing, uh, a long mare of a gaze, dark gray hair, and then began to walk up towards the teacher's table. So think of this, in the middle of this feast is making his grand entrance. A dull clunk echoed through the hall on his, on his every other step. He reached the end of the top table, turned to the right, limped heavily towards Dumbledore. So this is the grand headmaster another flash of lightning crossed the ceiling hermione gasped the lightning had thrown the man's face into a sharp relief it was a face unlike anything he'd ever seen it looked as though it had been carved out of weathered wood by someone who had only the vaguest idea of human faces and what they're supposed to look like it was none too skilled with a chisel every inch of skin seemed to be scarred the mouth looked like a diagonal gash and a large chunk of nose was missing. But if it was the man's eyes that made him most frightening, small, dark, and beady. The other was large, round, and a coin in vivid electric blue. The blue eye was moving carelessly without blinking and was rolling up and down from side to side quite independently of the normal eye. And then it rolled right over, pointing to the back of the man's head so that all they could see was whiteness and then that's when he goes Dumbledore is like like what the hell is going on here may I introduce you to your defense against the dark arts teacher <laughs> said Dumbledore brightly in the silence professor moody and like that's the biggest thing to me is like this is a big feast like any normal whether you're at work whether say you were like invited as a teacher there <laughs> I would have never done that like you just walk let me just walk myself up there i have many leather bound books and my apartment smells of rich mahogany 
<laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and waltz myself in here. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Yeah, I would say, well, think about who Madam Moody is. Number one, we learn in a little bit, he's actually doing Dumbledore a favor for, number one, taking the post, because he asked him to just be there for one year. And number two, I don't want to give anything away. But, um, so, I don't know, man. I guess, like, he was just, uh, (laughs) and let's say it was exactly as we are come to think of it as we read it in that moment. If it really is as it's read there, this guy has spent his whole... He's like in his 70s. And he spent his whole life putting dark wizards away. He's got no time to take shit from anybody. He's like, listen, man. I'm an old man. I'm trying to get to my seat. I don't know how this castle works. It's my first time here. I'm opening the door. And I'm walking to my seat. And I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's that's actually the way I've always... Even from the first time I read it. was kind of how I took him. Like, almost like put aside even the doctor thing almost like a retired military guy or something that just doesn't care yeah like whatever he does like i don't have time for it <laughs> yeah so um you, man. for sure then i'll go a little bit on to here i thought it was cool like fred and george are determined to enter this so they talked about making anti-aging potions and it does kind of suck for them because like they turned 17 in april and like you need to be 17 to enter and it, it starts in october so they're actually only a couple months underage which really stinks for them but I don't really think they would have been chosen anyways. Like, it's supposed to be, like, the best from the school. And, like, they are very talented and smart, but, like, in their own lane. You know what I mean? Like, they're very good at making right. jokes and, like, pranks and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, like, causing mischief. But I don't know that necessarily they're a champion of a school that you would say. But anyways, um, <laughs> going on to page 194, them going to uh, Herbology class. Uh, uh, tubers, Boobatubers. They're, you have to collect their pus and it's good for acne. That's what they do to... They're like little nasty slug looking things from the plant that you gotta milk and get the pus out of, squeeze the pus into the container and apparently they're good for acne and just a funny anecdote is one of the people there, Eloise Midgen, apparently had tried to get her acne off by blasting them with her wand and because of that uh, she like lost her nose <laughs> and then Madame Pomfrey had to put her nose back on and, and kind of get her all <laughs> taken care of but I guess this uh, boobo tubers is really good for uh, acne. Then in page 196, we learn about, uh, I won't get too far ahead of myself when I say favorite, but I'll say they're one of my favorite magical creatures in the entire uh, series of Harry Potter, honestly, not even just the book. Um, Blast ended scroots. What they were described as when you first see them as they were considered babies, they were just hatched not too long ago. They were deformed shellless lobsters with legs sticking out in odd places with no visible heads. That's what they were described as. Uh, right there and there, but then eventually when they grow, it's almost like they get armor. But I don't get that's too far ahead, and I think that's super cool. And then they they, they can like burn you with their stingers at the end, their tails. Like these are really cool creatures. Shout out J.K. Rowling for the imagination it took to come up with something that looks like this and does these things. Like I think that's very imaginative. Um, thought that was cool. Then in divination class, I just have one thing here, and I'll turn it back over to you, Chase. I thought it was really really funny. That, uh, when because Lavender and Parvati seem to be Professor Trelawney's favorite students because they seem to be getting more of the division, divination, like they seem to be better at it than the rest of the class. And this is kind of cool because, like, you know, it gives even the supporting characters good at something, right? And so, uh, Lavender was like making the same, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I, I see your Uranus in mine. 
Everybody gives it to you. Say, oh, Professor, I look, I think I've got an unaspected planet. Which that one? What's that one, Professor? It's Uranus, my dear, said Professor Trinley, appearing down the chart. And Ron says, can I have a look at Uranus too, Lavender? <laughs> okay, Ron, bazinga boy, I see you. I thought that was really cool. And then the last thing I'll do is just read this excerpt from the Daily Prophet. Because this is a big moment and also a, a kind of a foreshadow. Further mistakes at the Ministry of Magic. It seems as though the Ministry of Magic's troubles are not yet at an end, writes Rita Skeeter, special correspondent. Recently under fire for its poor crowd control at the Quidditch World Cup, and still unable to account for the disappearance of one of its witches, the Ministry was plunged into fresh embarrassment yesterday by the antics of Arnold Weasley of the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts Office. Arnold Weasley, who was charged with possession of a flying car two years ago, was yesterday involved in a tussle with several Muggle law keepers, policemen, over a number of highly aggressive dustbins. Mr. Weasley appears to have rushed to the aid of Mad-Eye Moody, the aged ex-Auror who retired from the ministry when no longer able to tell the difference between a handshake and attempted murder. Unsurprisingly, Mr. Weasley found upon arrival at Mr. Moody's heavily guarded house that Mr. Moody had once again raided as a false alarm, and Mr. Weasley was forced to modify several memories before he could escape from the policeman, but refused to answer daily profit questions about why he had involved the ministry in such an undignified and potential, potentially embarrassing scene. So that's a big foreshadow moment about the dustbins attacking Mad-Eye Moody, him showing up there. Then also I thought it was just disrespectful. They can't even get Arthur Weasley's name right. They called him Arnold. But um, Yeah, yeah, I got it wrong, dude. There's a, it's all you, my man, from here. Take it, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up, it's not really even that important, um, was just the password, because I always bring up the passwords for the Gryffindor common room. Yes, you do. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like when you do that. Yeah, so the new one is Balderdash. I did look this up. Um, in a one translation, it said, like, in Italian... I couldn't really see here's the thing one claimed that it could be Italian one claimed that it's not uh, basically it could possibly mean sensational the only other thing I found was there's actually a blog out there called balderdash it actually is a Harry Potter <laughs> blog ironically so it didn't take me to any bad websites or anything but yeah, that, this was one that kind of stumped me man just throwing that out I kind of I heard it was like something like nonsense like like, oh, that's preposterous. Like, nonsense. Oh, it's Balderdash. Like, I kind of heard that sense. it's like See, that. But. That would make sense. See, I, I would get that. Because, like, the other ones I could find, this is, like, the only one out there I can find. So, Balderdash, I, I'll take it, man. That, that works for me. Um, going from here, did you have anything in between the big ferret scene by any chance? No. That, that's all you. Take, take it away. <laughs> Yeah, I thought this was awesome. Me too. Um, really cool. I do got to say, I actually watched the film. They played this out really well in the film, except for they missed a major part, of course. That's typical. The major part here that they missed was, you know, Malfoy and Harry going back and forth. And what happens is Malfoy is about to attack Harry from behind his back. That's the big moment. That wasn't even in the film <laughs> at all. We'll get into differences a long time from now. That wasn't even mentioned, but... The rest was played out really well, uh, actually, I thought, with the way they did because it was exactly like the book. But, you know, 
it, this is where you really get that idea like you really get that first sense of evidence here of how moody is like because he starts walking down the steps and at first everyone's kind of like gonna gasp right if you're that typical student like what's this guy gonna do and he's just like leave it <laughs> leave it where it lies and he like shoots in there and all, first you hear it says bang <laughs> turn around and moody this is when he turns him into a ferret and he just goes ferret bang several people scream harry felt something with a hot gaze like a white iron go across his face he plunged his hand into his robes if it's a if his wand if reaching for his wand but before he he touched it he heard the second loud bang and a roar that echoed through the entrance let let me make oh, no, sense no. what i want to do is i want to make sense of that real quick for the listeners because like mad i had not entered quite yet it was like so yeah, yeah. so basically what happens is like harry insults malfoy's mom because malfoy insulted ron's mom and so when harry insulted malfoy's mom he turned his back on Malfoy, and Malfoy actually did attempt to curse him, but he missed. That was a big flash of hotness that he felt by his face was the curse that Malfoy missed. And then that's when Moody says, oh, no, you don't, laddie, and then hits hits. Yeah, yeah. so that's – I just want to clarify that. Yeah, actually, and this is a big point because this is how vile Malfoy is to, since we're clarifying it. Malfoy says – and there's a picture, Weasley, bringing up the article that you were talking about, said Malfoy, flipping the paper over and holding it up. A picture of your parents' house, if you call it a house. And this is where it gets really nasty. If you thought Logan was nasty from Westworld, this is fighting words right here. <laughs> your mother could do with losing a little bit of weight, couldn't she? <laughs> like, what? This is where he crosses the line. And that's that moment where, like you said, you hear the loud bang. And then here you hear that second loud bang and a roar that echoed through the entrance hall. Oh, no, you don't, laddie. <laughs> Harry spun around. Professor Moody was limping down the marble staircase. His wand was out. And it was pointing right at pure, the pure white ferret, which was shivering on stone flagged floor exactly where Malfoy had been standing. I don't think so, roared Moody, pointing his wand at the ferret again. It flew a ten feet in the air, fell with a smell to the floor. Fell with a smack to the floor. He smacked it, it off the ground. With a smack. I imagine it would have a smell, too, if it was a ferret. But yeah, <laughs> smack to the floor. Imagine how painful that would be. Yeah. Awful. Um, it reminds me almost of... Uh, like one of those Pokemon moves or something, where with the psychics, they like move them to each side. Gengar. Anyways, but yeah, bounced upward once more. I don't like people who attack their their op- opponents uh, when their backs are turned. Growled Moody, as the ferret bounced higher and higher, squealing in pain, sh- uh, shrieking cowardly. A scumming, what a stinking, cowardly, scumming thing to do," said Moody. And the ferret hit the stone floor and bounced upward again. <laughs> and this is when, like, yeah, like it's just like slamming him, like back down, like almost like a the body slam, the Snorlax slam is what's going on right now. And then McGonagall over here, of course, McGonagall always has to be the hero, comes in. Professor Moody <laughs> said in, in, in a shocked voice. 
coming down the stairs with all her books flying out of her arms. Hello, Professor McGonagall, said Moody calmly, bouncing the ferret still higher and higher, just smacking, smacking do the Snorlax smack. What are you doing? said Professor McGonagall, her eyes following the bouncing ferret's progress through the air. Teaching, said Moody. Teach. I'm teaching my students. Teaching, shrieked Professor McGonagall, the book spilling out of her arms. Yep said Moody. No, cried Professor McGonagall, running down the stairs and pulling out her wand. A moment later, with a loud snapping noise, Draco Malfoy had reappeared, lying in a heap on the floor with the sleek blonde hair still over now that brilliantly pink face. He got to his feet, wincing. Moody, we never use transfiguration as punishment, said Professor McGonagall weakly. Surely, Professor Dumbledore told you that. He might have mentioned it, yeah, <laughs> said Moody, scratching his chin un unconcernedly, unconcernedly. But I thought it was a good sharp shock. We give detentions, Moody, or speak to the offender's head of house. I'll do that then, <laughs> said Moody, staring at Malfoy with great dislike. Malfoy, whose pale eyes were still watering with pain and humiliation, looked male violently up at Moody and muttered something in which the words my father distinguishable were distinguishable oh yeah said Moody quietly lump, uh, limping forward a few steps the dull clunk of the wooden leg echoing around the hall well I know your father boy and you tell him Moody's keeping a close eye on his son you tell him from me now you're head of house. He'll be Snape, will it be? It be Snape? Yes, said Malfoy resentfully. Another old friend, growled Moody. I've been looking forward to a chat with old Snape. Come on, you! And he seized Malfoy's upper arm and marched him off towards the dungeons. Professor McGonagall stared anxiously after them for a few minutes and then waved her wand after falling back uh, after, you know, the books uh, gathering them back up in her arms. Like, could you imagine seeing that, though? Like, someone taking that out on a student? But even from this perspective, which most people would never get this perspective, only I would think of this. So being an Animagus... Okay, let me help you out. It's Animagus. There's no N in Animagus. It's Animagus, not Mangus. <laughs> Animagus. Animagus, watching manga. <laughs> yeah, Animagus, right? Hey. Transfiguration. <laughs> Just think of think of that. Like he pulled that transfiguration spell like it was nothing. Like not even half thinking about it. Like people practice their whole lives to do this. He just walked downstairs, did a transfiguration spell, which keep in mind guys, transfiguration and they say they say at least transfiguration and being an animagus, like just to be able to do that, like how using that for the sort of power. It would take a lot of power. You'd almost be lethargic afterwards because you're exhausted. He didn't even think anything of it. He just turned him into a ferret because he thought it was funny. <laughs> like, well, he was trying to punish him. He was showing him, don't you attack anyone with their backs turned, you coward. He was punishing him. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was, but of course there were other ways he could have done it is what I'm saying. But, um, but for instance, detention. But no, I thought it was great. He, 
Not that I think anyone should be hurt, but no, Malfoy got exactly what he deserved, but it just really goes to show what a badass Moody is. Dude gives no Fs. No Fs. And it's interesting because of uh, Moody's secret at the end of this book, too. Like, so this whole oh, yeah, this, yeah. this whole time. But um, That's really that big moment, by the way, too, that I was saying backs up a point for you <laughs> that you made where I've come to agree with you on that for what I just said. Uh, but yeah, with that, I'll, I'll head it back over to you, man. For sure. And when you were going through that uh, passage, you, like there was a huge foreshadowed moment there. But I'll save it for our foreshadowed events, period. But when Moody talks about Malfoy's father and Snape and says they're old friends, that's a big old foreshadow. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, man. So then going on from there, this is actually where I've got the start of our last chapter. Uh, 14 for our favorite moments. Uh, I have like Fred, George, and Lee. They said they love Moody's class, and they're like, you know, he's really been there, man. He just he knows things, and he's getting everyone else like all hyped and excited to take this class. And so uh, then we go on to page 209, and uh, Neville. This kind of sucks. Nick Mel- Neville melted his sixth cauldron and potions, and Professor Snape made him disembowel a barrel full of horned toads. Disemboweling anything is disgusting. Horned toads has got to be worse. Snape just hates Neville. It's so sad. But uh, now we get into the really cool stuff called these unforgivable curses. And so I don't know that... Uh, I, I What I'll just do, I'm just going to give you a quick brief overview because there's no sense in... If I tell you what they do, I don't need to read the whole passage for you, right? So page 212, we learn about the Imperious Curse. Now, Imperious Curse, you achieve by pointing your wand and saying, Imperio! And what that does, it gives you f- total control over another person. What they do, what you, what you think, what you want them to do, they will do. You want them to do a backflip, they're going to do a backflip. You want them to kill somebody, they're going to kill somebody. You want them to steal something, they're going to steal it. The Imperious Curse gives you full control over another person. The second one, page 214, we learn about the Cruciatus Curse. And now this curse is it causes the victim intolerable pain. It's like torture. Like, you know, the old Ramsey Bolton with Theon on the whole block there, just torturing him, peeling his skin off, like cutting some parts off of him. Like, this Cruciatus curse is just basically unbearable pain, like almost an electric chair shock without actually killing you. Like, it, it's like you're being electrocuted and the pain is intolerable. Then the last... Uh, What's it called? Unforgivable curse is Avada Kedavra, which is the killing curse. And speaking about Avada Kedavra, he says, Madame Moody says, it's not nice, it's not pleasant, and there's no counter curse. There's no blocking it. The only person that's ever survived it is sitting in front of us here, which is Harry Potter, obviously. But these are the three unforgivable curses. And the one thing I will say about the Cruciatus curse, because it was Neville that uh, gave that answer to Madame Moody. This is a big foreshadow for your favorite book, coming up that we find a little bit out about Neville and his family and why the Cruciatus Curse is something that affects Neville so deeply. Um, so, and then there was something else, like one... Actually, I'll just finish what I have and I'll turn it over to you because I only got three more after this for favorite moments. Yeah. So, page 217. This is something that just has always stuck with me. Uh, I don't know why. It's just very, very... <laughs> it's very strange. So... So, Avada Kedavra is a curse that needs a powerful bit of magic behind it. You could all get out your wands right now and point them at me and say the words, and I doubt I'd get so much as a nosebleed. 
but that doesn't matter. I'm not here to teach you how to do it. But I just thought this was cool because it kind of teaches you the growth of magic. Like, a, like a, you're telling me a class full of 14 year olds could say the words and make the wand movements, but it still actually wouldn't kill him because there's gotta be powerful magic and force and malice behind it, right? So that's always stuck with me that, you know, it's not just something you do and it's automatic. You know, like imagine if like I got super annoyed, you and I were like arguing and fighting and like I just got super annoyed and I just said it like, you know what, I wouldn't be able to harm you with it like in a way that would kill you. Maybe it give you a nosebleed or something. But like you have to have some actual hatred and anger and want to do harm and force behind this spell to actually have it kill somebody. So you can't just say the word swish your wand and they're dead. It doesn't work like that. It takes practice and training and becoming a more powerful and uh, uh, adept wizard to perform this and do it properly that where it actually would kill someone. And Mad Eye Moody even does it and does it on a spider and it just falls dead as if it was never there. And it actually kind of affects Harry a little bit too. Like he starts thinking about that's what would have been for his mom and dad when they got hit by that curse. But um, the other three things I got here, the page 217, it's actually quoted saying the use of any of these three unforgivable, unforgivable curses is enough to earn a life sentence in Azkaban. So you will get a life sentence if you use any one of these three uh, unforgivable curses and you're caught and tried and found guilty. Um, page 220, teaching the curses could put Dumbledore and Moody in trouble with the ministry, but they go ahead and do it anyways on their own <laughs> because that's what Dumbledore does. And now finally, page 224, we get a full circle moment because Hermione, who's been kind of starting to clamber for these uh, equal rights for house elves, she officially starts what we call SPOO, right? Which is the Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare. Uh, last thing here, page 226. I'm going to read Sirius Black's letter that finally they got a reply from because remember he'd sent this owl back when he woke up from the dream in chapter 2. We're here in chapter 14 and he's at Hogwarts. He still hasn't received a reply yet. So now he finally gets a reply and it's not the reply he was looking for because now after this, let me read it and then we'll discuss it, right? Uh, Harry, I'm flying north immediately. This news about your scar is the latest in a series of strange rumors that have reached me here. If it hurts again, go straight to Dumbledore. They're saying he's got Mad-Eye out of retirement, which means he's reading the signs even if no one else is. I'll be in touch soon. My best to Ron and Hermione. Keep your eyes open, Harry. Serious. And why Harry is pissed off about this is because he's basically Sirius is going to put himself in jeopardy of being caught and taken back to Azkaban and maybe killed by the Dementors. All because, in Harry's mind, he's like, I just told him about my stupid scar hurting. Like, 10 seconds of pain, I couldn't just suck it up. I had to go blabbing. Now he's going to show up here. Now he's in trouble. And so now Harry's all pissed off. And then, uh, yeah, and that's the thing. Because of that, he wasn't the only one lying awake that night because he didn't hear Neville's usually snore, usual snores, meaning Neville was also lying awake. And like I said, we'll find out, actually, in the Order of the Phoenix, why Neville was lying awake and why the Cruciatus Curse gave him you know, the effects that it did. But that was the end of my favorite moments. I'll let you finish up with yours, and then we'll jump into foreshadowed events, my brother. Yeah, man. You hit, uh, you hit most of mine. Um, just a, a couple things I'll say. So the uh, first curse, the Imperious curse, um, Moody actually keeps saying constant vigilance, which I thought was really cool. Was that like the – because he mentions – that he knows how to defend against that curse 
Um, was is constant vigilance? Is that like the defense word? No, honestly, it basically what that means. It's like fancy way of saying keep your head on a swivel, like always pay attention to your surroundings, never let your guard down even for a second. Constant yeah. vigilance, like make sure you're always on edge and, and ready for anything, because any times, like that's the only defense. If you're ready for anything at any point in time, you can't be taken by surprise. So that's all what constant yeah. vigilance means. Okay. That's not the defense word. I just word. wanted to clear that up for some people, because I was thinking the same thing too. I just wanted to make sure. Um, the biggest thing that like freaked me out about this curse, because yeah, people think about you know. Or I can make you go kill somebody, or I can make you do this, this, and this for me. The, one of the biggest things, too, that got this curse named as an unforgivable curse was people were making people go drown and kill themselves. Like, if they want you just to cut your throat in front of them, you just cast that spell and they just, like, cut their own throat, almost like out of a horror film. Or go jump in a lake and drown yourself. That's, that's insane. Um... You hit the Cruciatus Curse and Avada Kedavra uh, right on the head. And I, I think, you know, Avada Kedavra is, is famous. I mean, that, that one takes the cake. If you don't know what Avada Kedavra is, it's probably just because you're just jumping on the on the train here. But we'll take you through it, so no worries. We got you guys. Um, <laughs> from there, man, uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, foreshadowing we'll bring up. But next, is, it's funny. I keep having to jump on the Hermione train. But she's my girl, so that's cool. But I thought it was cool. She uh, she started a spew, is what she called it, which was um, Society for the Premonition uh, Promotion of Elfish Welfare, which was pretty cool. And you know, it, it's kind of like even too. It's funny how it, it always relates uh, somehow to what we were talking about with Fred and George um, last episode. You know how they went against the normal and i just think it's so great that's what she's doing here and she's been it shows in this book she gets so much criticism for doing that and she's really taking it on herself uh to do that which i thought was great like ron was like never heard of it you know he's sitting here making fun of her for doing this when really ron hasn't done anything the entire time and she says spew said Hermione and she like kind of barks back at him because she's showing her passion here she says I was going to put a stop to the outrageous abuse of our fellow magical creatures in campaign for the change in their legal statutes but it wouldn't fit so that's the heading of our manifesto so I was just like good for you like she's come so far like since Azkaban you know smacking Malfoy in the face in the movie punching in the face and now like she's standing up for things so good for her um and she's even said like she has been researching elf enslavement and it goes back for centuries which we talked about this on one of the episodes before i brought up on interesting facts it's almost like they're just like always born into it because i guess unless you have a significant amount of money you're not going to have a house elf so they just get used to just basically staying in line with these families. Um, yeah, and uh, that's, did you, maybe I missed it. Did you mention, you mentioned that letter, right? Did you mention that? Letter? I read it. Yeah, I read the letter word for yeah, word. you read it, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, because um, that also kind of plays a point for what we were talking about last time um, with that that question you asked me yeah mm -hmm. uh, 
this is what really proves it to me. Like, he already, like, dropped everything and was ready to go. But that's everything I had. I, I think you hit it on the head for this one. I think I think you nailed those down. Perfect. So that'll take us into the foreshadow events for through the same chapters of 9 to 14. So I'll start with my first couple foreshadowed events. Some of them we already talked about just because they double as impact moments and foreshadowed events, right? Yeah. So... But page 122, this is one we didn't say, and this is important. This is back when we're back here now uh, in the woods from after, like, the Death Eaters start messing with the Roberts. <clears throat> this is what Harry tell, says, Malfoy says, Where are your parents, said Harry, is temporizing. Out there wearing the masks, are they? Malfoy turned to face Harry, still smiling. Well, if they were, I wouldn't be likely to tell you, would I, Potter? So that's a big foreshadow about Malfoy's parents being out there in the Death Eaters masks. Um, page 123, what we were talking about with the French words, I actually went ahead and translated it. So uh, when Harry, like when uh, they were running through the woods, they saw these girls and the girls stopped them and they were speaking French. And one of them said to uh, Harry, Ron, Hermione, Oh, est Madame Maxime? Nos levons perdu. Which actually translates to, where is Madame Maxime? We lost her. So that's a bit of a foreshadow because we learn later on who Madame Maxime is and where she plays a role in this book. And honestly, in a couple books too as well because of her relationship with a certain gamekeeper. Um, going on from there, uh, page, page 123, Hermione, she says, that they must go to Boban's Academy of Magic. That's a foreshadow for the announcement that Dumbledore makes at the start of Term Feast. And the last one I'll do before I turn over to you is 123. Harry loses his wand from his pockets, which we talked about in favorite moments. Uh, ended up being the one that caused the dark mark, but he didn't even have his wand on him. He lost it. That came first look pretty soon. But I'll turn it over to you for some good old foreshadowed events. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, I just thought of this kind of, by the way, for last episode. Because it kind of starts to be known and ironic remember when victor crumb lost the match one thing hermione said was i thought he was kind of brave so that was kind of a foreshadow moment we didn't think of there so i just thought of it yeah but he lost the match on purpose you know what i mean like he just didn't want them to keep getting their butts kicked you know <laughs> like he was just like yeah yeah like yeah. he's like i'm tired of this they're already up 130 to 10 i ain't got time for this like then they scored even more off all the penalties and all of a sudden it's 170 to like 30 and so he, or no 170 to 10 and then when he got the snitch it was 160 because you get 150 for catching the snitch so it ended up being 160 to 170 they were getting their butts kicked he's like bro i'm not gonna be playing for five days getting my ass kicked by ireland i'm just gonna show that i'm a better seeker than their seeker i'm gonna end the game and catch a snitch to show that i can it's just the rest of my team around me sucks compared to the ireland team that's what it was man <laughs> like oh yeah i wasn't saying from standpoint i was foreshadowing events oh you're talking about the the kind of uh between uh victor crumb and hermione like their little um yeah. okay yeah a little spring fling we got going spring on, fling love it we'll talk about later uh so that was one i i didn't even think of because it, it brought this to me it was why because the next one i was going to say which we've already said before you know um i mentioned uh miss weasley bringing up the robes uh, to the formal robes uh, to Ron. Um, next view I have. So I got a lot on 
chapter 11 aboard the Hogwarts Express. And, I mean, first one, it was just like boom, 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 right in a row. Uh, so as far as the first one here, Diggory uh, makes a comment to Arthur, uh, makes the comment to Miss Weasley about Arthur. We mentioned that, which was about more of Mad-Eye Moody. Moody. He goes, just this last uh, mention here, who can get Mad-Eye Moody, he's the only one who can get Mad-Eye Moody off, Mad-Eye is supposed to be starting his new job today, which you didn't know at that point. But then right after that, you're going into, this is when they're getting on the Hogwarts Express, and Charlie says to the group, I might be seeing you all a little sooner than you think, grinning as he hugged Jenny goodbye. Why, said Fred keenly. You'll see, said Charlie. Just don't tell Percy I mentioned it. It's classified information until such a time the ministry sees fit to release after all. You know what I was thinking too, which this probably doesn't play into it too much, but as far as Charlie's classified information on why he found out, he's been in Romania all this time. <laughs> like it might foreshadow, if you think of it that way, I don't have any proof on that, but think of that, that could be a way maybe he knew about it so early besides just his father right like let's think about that for certain things that people are faced with <laughs> later on right um over here and then you had bill to the group he was like you're going to have an amazing interest interesting year uh, his eyes twinkling i might even get time off to come and watch you a bit of it a bit of what said ron you know and then they get Miss Weasley was like, "Oh, it's a pleasure, dear," said Miss Weasley. "I'd even invite you for Christmas, but well, I expect you're going to want to stay at Hogwarts. Uh, what with one thing and another." Mom said, "Ron, irritably, what do you three uh, know that we don't? You'll find out this evening, I expect," said Miss Weasley, smiling. "It's going to be very exciting, mind you. I'm very glad they changed the rules." And they're like, what rules? And they all said it once, Harry, Ron, Fred, and George. I'm sure Professor Dumbledore will tell you now. Behave, won't you? Won't you, <laughs> uh, uh, Fred and George? And then right after this, we're going into, this is what I was talking about with Malfoy and Ron. So he is just a, such a tool here. Uh, he approaches Ron and he goes, so going to enter, Weasley? Going to try and bring a bit of glory to the family name. There is money involved as well, you know. You'd be you'd be able to afford some decent robes if you won. <laughs> and then that's when Ron's like, what are you talking about, Malfoy? That's foreshadowing of the Triwizard Tournament, of course. Um, and then this next one here is Malfoy again in that same, same conversation. He's like, are you going to enter Potter? major foreshadowing here i suppose you will potter you never miss a chance to show off do you either explain what and this is when uh, they're like either explain what you're about or go away malfoy once again my girl sticking up for everybody said hermione testily over the standard book of spells uh, grade four um and then you know uh, this is what you were talking about with dennis to the brother colin the reason this is foreshadowing here so Colin goes, I fell in, he said shrilly, which is talking about Hagrid bringing him across the lake into an imp uh, and bringing himself into an NPC. It was brilliant, and something in the water grabbed me and pulled me back in the boat. Cool, said Colin. It just sounds like there's almost like 
innocent South Park guys that are always like, yeah, woo, wee And then he's like, it was probably the great squid, like you're saying, Dennis. Wow, said Dennis. As though nobody in their wildest dreams could hope for more that being thrown down a storm-tossed, uh, uh, storm-tossed deep lake and pushed out it again by a giant sea monster. Like, it could very well foreshadow uh, later on those lakes, I would say. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the one with Dumbledore to the group as far as Fred and George, you know, challenging them, even though it was really challenging for everybody, is what he was trying to say, but we know he's kind of honing in on there. Um, Harry's dream. Uh, this is a big one here. In Chapter 12, Triwizard's Tournament, it foreshadows three things it says harry rolled over in bed harry rolled over in bed um with dazzling pictures forming in his mind eye he had uh he had a hoodkin uh the he had to hoodwink the imperial judge into believing he was 17. he had become hogwarts champion just like we were saying he was standing on the grounds his arms raised in triumph in front of the whole school, all of whom were appalled, uh, were applauding and screaming. Not appalled, that'd be awful. Uh, he had just won the Triwizard Tournament. Cho's face stood out particularly clearly in the blurred crowd. Her face glowing with admiration, Harry grinned into his pillowcase, exceptionally glad that Ron couldn't see. So this foreshadows three things. One, you got Cho here. Cho Chang's is a big one. Um, as far as Harry's future, and then you do have Ron's future with some things that do go down with those two. Um, another one here. Uh, did you have? Did you have any more foreshadowed? I had like a million before we even get to the. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I thought you ran through all your. Oh no, man! I've got. Yeah, that's why I was like, I guess I gotta run through them all. No, I've got a, I've got a ton. I was only doing like five to get through there. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna <laughs> run. I'm gonna. I thought you were saying you only had five. No, no, I was, I was, I was going through our like our old uh, what's it called routine of like I'll do five, you do five. But oh, yeah, uh, sorry, I got thrown off. No, no, no. It's all good, man. Because you know it takes me not much, but like five minutes to catch up to where you're at. Um. <laughs> So I'm I'm still back at uh, where they where the the dark mark happened, right? So page one twenty four, uh, a rustling noise nearby made all three of them jump. Winky the house elf was fighting her way out of a clump of bushes nearby. She was moving in a most peculiar peculiar fashion, apparently with great difficulty. It was as though someone invisible were trying to hold her back. That's the biggest foreshadow probably in the book, honestly. Like that like what was yeah. that that was crazy. Um, in page 125, the first paragraph, you know, house elves get a very raw deal, said Hermione. It's slavery is what it is. That Mr. Crouch made her go up to the top of the stadium. She was terrified. Why doesn't anyone do something about it? That was a foreshadow of her taking it into her own hands. Be the change you want to see in the world, Hermione. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, then in page 128, this is when the dark markets actually gets cast. Um, second paragraph here. She broke off abruptly and looked over her shoulder. Harry and Ron looked quickly around too. It sounded as though someone was staggering towards their clearing. They waited, listening to the sounds of uneven steps behind the dark trees, but the footsteps came to a halt. Hello, called Harry. 
There was a silence. Harry got to his feet and peered around the tree. It was too dark to see very far, but he could sense somebody standing just beyond his range of vision. That's a big foreshadow of <laughs> the big moment later on in this book. Uh, page 129. Suddenly, the wood all around them erupted with screams. Harry didn't understand why, but the only possible cause was the sudden appearance of the skulls, which had now risen high enough to illuminate the entire wood like some grisly neon sign. He scanned the darkness for the person who had conjured the skull, but he couldn't see anyone. That itself uh, is a foreshadow for people being terrified of the dark mark, not only regular citizens but the death eaters as well um page 132 uh no point mr crouch because this is what mr crouch does and there's a reason why he does it but we don't learn it until the last like three chapters of this entire book he says no point mr crouch mr degree called after him there's no one else there but mr crouch did not seem prepared to take his word for it they could hear him moving around and rustling leaves as he pushed the bushes aside searching and then uh the reason why that's really important is because Mr. Croucher returned empty-handed. His face was still ghostly white, and his hands and toothbrush and mustache were both twitching. Meaning he probably found something there that no one else did, and I'm not going to say anything other than that. So that's super important. Uh, page 132, Winky had a wand, and it happened to be Harry's wand. Uh, the prior incantado spell is going to be important for the, the showdown at the very end of the book because... Something happens where other someone else's wand shows the last spells they did. Um, really important. Uh, 142 is scared the Death Eaters because the moment they saw it, they disapparated before they got near enough to unmask any of them. Them being scared was kind of cool. 147, Rita Skeeter in the article about lax security at the World Cup. That was a foreshadow for Rita Skeeter getting involved heavily into other people's business that's not hers. That comes back to bite her in the ass thanks to our girl Hermione later on. Uh... Then, uh, it was all uh, just a dream, just a nightmare, says Ron. And this is talking about, this is when Harry finally told Ron and Hermione about the dream he had in the beginning of the book. He said, Ron's like, well, it was all just a dream, just a nightmare. And Harry says, yeah, but was it though? Ta-da, big old foreshadow <laughs> moment there. Uh, going on, moving right through. The, uh, page 149 there's the last three paragraphs here. It's really important. Professor Trelawney was their divination teacher at Hogwarts. Hermione's terrified look vanished when she left out a snort. Oh, Harry, you're not going to pay attention to anything that old fraud says. You weren't there, said Harry. You didn't hear her. This time was different. I told you. She went into a trance, a real one, and said the Dark Lord to rise again, greater and more terrible than ever before, and he'd manage it because a servant was going back to them, and that night Wormtail escaped. So that was a big old foreshadow for yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. The Mundungus Fletcher is mentioned again in regards to skirting the law. He was mentioned in, I think, uh, Sorcerer's Stone, kind of doing the same shady stuff. But he comes up big in your book uh, after this one. Um, the Weasley Clock, that's a foreshadow for Order of the Phoenix. We talked about that earlier. Uh, the Order Forms, the, the, the page 183, the Order Forms for uh, Weasley Wizard Wheezes reason why that's wildly important is because there's a business they're trying to start that hasn't come to fruition yet, but they're in the building works of it. Um, dress robes, you'd mentioned this. I'm not going to touch on it. You already talked about it. Mad-Eye Moody is mentioned and claims an intruder entered his home. If that's not a foreshadow, I don't know what is. <laughs> like, like Even though it, was like a, it seemed like a false alarm with the dustbins, there was a reason why Moody thought there was an intruder there. That's all I'll say. Um... Mad-Eye is supposed to be starting his new job today, like you said. 
for that, him starting Hogwarts as the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Page 161, the last paragraph here. He's retired, used to work at the Ministry. I met him once. Dad took me in to work with him. He was an Auror, a Dark Wizard Catcher, and half the cells in Azkaban are full because of him. That's a foreshadow, for sure. Um, and then we're, I'm almost right to where you were, because now it's about Charlie. I've got this part where Bill and Charlie kind of tease the info of what's happening at Hogwarts this year. And then, like you said with Malfoy, uh, what I said, it was very, very similar to when last book in Prisoner of Azkaban, when Harry was trying to figure out, like, like when Draco was in potions class, and he was like, are you going to go after Sirius Black yourself? It was me. I'd want revenge. Like, Remember, he knew what Harry didn't, and was like showing that he knew that what Harry didn't. It was like what he was yeah. doing with them right now with the Triwizard Tournament, just being a dickhead for no reason. Like, oh, I know this, and you don't. Ha, ha, ha. I'm so important. I'm Draco Malfoy. Right? So... And while that was happening, uh, oh, also this is, oh yeah, he's he's a tool. Also on the Hogwarts <laughs> Express, father actually considered sending me to Durmstrang rather than Hogwarts. You know, he knows the headmaster. You see, that's a big old foreshadowed. <laughs> Lucius Malfoy, knowing Igor Kakarov, I shouldn't have said his name yet, but that's the headmaster of Durmstrang. Sorry. Uh, spoiler alert. Ba 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 ba. Then 167, Hermione's starting to learn the summoning charm on the train. And then page 170, a hundred horseless carriages stood waiting for them outside the station. The horseless carriages, that's a foreshadow for your book that comes up next. They aren't necessarily horseless. Um, Remember that name Lovegood I kept telling you about. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, I wanted just to read this because this is a foreshadow of... I, I don't love to do foreshadows of romantic involvements, especially because like of how it turns out, but I thought this was cool. So, a boy walked forward, visibly trembling from head to toe. Picked up the sorting hat, put it on, sat on the stool. Ravenclaw! Shot out the hat. Stuart accurately took off the hat and hurried into his seat at the Ravenclaw table where everyone was applauding him. Harry caught a glimpse of Cho... The Ravenclaw Seeker cheering Stuart accurately as he sat down, and for a fleeting second, Harry had a strange desire to join Ravenclaw too. <laughs> so he like, he's like getting taken. He really likes this show girl, man. I love it. Um, and then I think I am all cut up with you because you were talking about Colin Creevy and the uh, Squid. So I think we are all cut up now. Yeah, where I'm at now. Uh, let me know if you have anything you want to, you know fit in there because i just took off because i was like man you only found six foreshadows i don't know how my mind thought that for some reason i just started thinking like oh you just blew through all the ones you found like how we were going over plot holes for a minute and we couldn't find much i was like man you only found six like like some of these chapters are filled with them so no that was my bad man um but this one is big that i did uh see which i'm 100 percent positive you have but are you at this point yet? Chapter 13, Mad-Eye Moody, uh, Professor Trelawney has another prediction that she tells to Harry. Uh, now, I'm not there yet, but I do have that one on there. There's one, a couple I have before about Mad-Eye Moody pulls out his hip flask and drinks from the hip flask instead of the pumpkin yeah, that's juice. A that's a huge that's foreshadow. That's huge. Mm -hmm. it's, it, here's a question, and I had it marked down. I don't really know if it is and I don't want to give away any spoilers, but you know how it's saying, um, like, he has that foot, like, Mad-Eye Moody has that foot. The clawed right? foot, yeah. I don't think it's actually his actual foot. I think it's just something to help keep the uh, wooden peg steady, honestly. Gotcha. And you don't think that would foreshadow, 
anything based on and I don't want to give away spoilers here but let's just keep in like you know Lupin in mind I don't think so I don't I don't think so I think I, I think that's what he uses to keep like instead of trying to uh, balance on like a small wooden peg like it, he has it fitted to like the claw clawed foot like maybe a bear or something just to keep himself steady so he can walk like a normal person i don't think there's any that's my opinion maybe it is i could be wrong but that's just my opinion on you can read my mind Uh, yeah i know you're yeah i know where you're going with it yeah yeah but uh no i just an interesting thought and like i was saying before like i didn't have any proof or anything on that it was just like an interesting thought um uh, did you want me to go over the tree lawny one i don't want to jump over you you got some more you want to throw in uh yes just a couple before that uh there the one where it says like they've worked hard over the summer to ensure this time no champion will find him or herself him or herself in mortal danger i think that's a really big foreshadow from dumbledore there the age restriction on the tournament that's a foreshadow because like surprise surprise it gets broken anyways so great job dumbledore you're really good at your job not uh (laughs) that's why that dumbledore himself says he's going to take care of the age thing but apparently uh, didn't didn't quite turn out that way. <laughs> um, Chilling on the beach, remember? He's on summer vacation. <laughs> right. And then uh, what I have here right before the tree line one, this is the last one. Is this actually, no, it's one you already mentioned about uh, him envisioning himself as the Hogwarts champion and Cho looking at him in admiration and, and all of that. So then, yeah, there you go. Uh, that's what I've got. Go ahead and uh, take away the, the Professor Trelawney thing. Uh, yeah, Trelawney, uh, she always has these massive, you know, foreshadowing moments for her predictions. Uh, this one I thought was really big about Harry. She does say, uh, I won't read it because it's pretty important. She says, my inner eyes see, see, uh, post, post, this was, my inner eyes sees post your brave face to the trouble, troubled soul within. And I regret to say that your brave face to the troubled soul within, and I, oh, sorry, I regret it. And I regret to say that your worries are not baseless. I see difficult times ahead of you, lass. Most difficult, I fear. The thing you dread will indeed come to pass, and perhaps sooner than you think. Um, so that, that's a big one there about Harry's future. So here's my thing. It's tough because I want to ask you about this. I think that foreshadows something different than you think it foreshadows. I think it foreshadows something that happens next book at the very end where someone is no longer around. That's what I think it foreshadows. I know what you're talking about. Uh, Because remember why Harry's so scared and why he gets mad after the letter he receives from Sirius? Yeah, you're right. That's what I I I think. I don't know. I can't. That's difficult because this is so vague. Yeah, of course. Then that's exactly how fortune tellers work. They say something vague that could apply to anything, right? So, but it's very interesting because I think that's my thought. But what what do you think? Without giving anything spoiler away, like like kind of I did put it vaguely. What do you think that it foreshadows? See, my first initial reaction is that he's gonna have to face Voldemort sooner than he thought. Okay, that's like my first thought, right? I I know exactly what you're saying because it's his biggest fear. He said, "Your fear, your biggest fear, will come to pass sooner than you think." I don't think he's afraid to face Voldemort because he's faced him a couple times already. That's my that's my only thing. Um, I mean that makes sense. Yeah, uh, 
honestly, you got a very good point because I, I I'll get get on. You've been on fire lately. I'll I'll get on board <laughs> with you on this because here's why. I go back even as far as thinking about the Emir of Arise or sorry Emir of Arisat. Um, you know when Harry was just sitting there all day, like that's what he longed for most. Um, I gotta give this one to you. I, I could very well see that. I mean, first thing I was just thinking is, you know, what we're, you know, what's being planned right now. Yeah. Um, but I could very well see that. That's massive. My only issue with it is like, how soon is that? That's that's, that's the that's the trick though, because like it's so vague, it could be any you know. Because I mean, in Harry's mind, he would never think next year that this something is gonna come bad to pass. So that could be sooner than he anticipated. Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean like soon, meaning it has to happen this year or next month or you know next week. Like soon could be relative to anything. You know what I mean? It says any like what you fear most will come to pass sooner than you believe. And you know, I don't think in his mind he was thinking someone was gonna depart this soon that soon you know what i mean like man it's uh every what's funny is literally these next three books (laughs) three characters as you know just based on my wand right like i mean some of my it's funny i'm hitting the josh i'm hitting the jay nelly streak in my books about to come up here like i'm hitting the jay nelly streak and you'll find out what that means as we we get into these more and more so i'll let you keep taking it man uh i mean other than that because i thought that was really big um when hermione says you know page 194 i've decided there are better ways to uh, making a stand about elf's rights than starving herself because remember she what she first did was decide she was not going to eat any food at the feast um because it was like made by slave labor is what she was saying so but that, what that says, what that does is kind of foreshadows again her creation of Spoo, right? Um, now, page 199, I'm going to read the fifth paragraph. It says, uh, actually, no, that's exactly the one we have with Professor Chilani. We just read that. <laughs> uh, the one after, so I've only got four more for the rest of, like, the, to end the, the part that we're going to end off on today, the end of chapter 14. So, page 206, there's a foreshadow. The last paragraph on page 206 and the first paragraph on page 207. It's kind of like a continuation there. So, oh yeah, said Moody quietly, limping forward a few steps, the dull clunk of his wooden leg echoing through the hall. Well, I know your father, old boy, talking to Draco. You tell him Moody's keeping a close eye on his son. You tell him that from me. And now, your head of house will be Snape, will it? Yes, said Malfoy resentfully, another old friend growled Moody. I've been looking forward to a chat with old Snape. So that's a really big foreshadow moment because we know why this person has uh, some animosity towards Draco's dad and and Severus Snape that we find out way later. Uh, Page 211, we find out, this is a foreshadow, we find out that Madame Moody is only staying one year. Yep. This is a big one. Page 214, uh, seeing the Cruciatus curse really affected Neville, we find out why that is next book. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Page 220, the book that Moody gave Neville was called Magical Water Yeah, Magical Water Plants of the Mediterranean. And that's a foreshadow because that book is going to come in handy later. And the very last one that I have is Fred and George are working in secret trying to craft a letter 
and even one of them, even he says, he's like, no, that's going to sound like we're blackmailing. Um, oh, no, no, we're, that we're accusing him. So that was page 222. It says, as Harry watched, George shook his head at Fred, scratched out something with his quill, and said in a very quiet voice that nevertheless carried across the deserted room, no, that sounds like we're accusing him. Gotta be careful. There's something that happened uh, when Fred and George made a bet, and something, you know, they didn't, they didn't get what they were owed. And now there's this is a foreshadow of that. And that was the last foreshadow I have. Did you have any other ones that I missed out on or didn't have on top of that? Or is that does that take us there? Uh, I just got two more. Perfect. They're actually, one's very big. The other one's not that big because I said it, but it, I kind of said it in passing. Um, it was when, uh, actually, Mad-Eye Moody is talking to Ron about his father. And he was like, your father got me out of a very tight corner a few days ago. Yeah, I'm staying just one year. Special favor to Dumbledore. One year and then back to my retirement. So, I mean, you can kind of pass over that. But at the same time, if you think of it from another perspective that we find out from later on, like you're already planning for that. That's interesting. Right. Just throwing that out there. That's, I mean, that's where I took it. When I said he's only staying a year, I, I thought that same way too. Like my thoughts were, it wasn't just because... He was gonna teach and go back there. Like I thought, what you thought too. I just don't want to touch on it too much there, because like that's the big plot of the whole story, right? But, right. And, yeah. Same here. I didn't. That's why I was like, we can pass over. Like, I mean, I didn't want to. Same thing. I don't want to give too much away. This one I thought was cool though that I found this last one, because um, it's kind of like that dream. Like it, it, it actually foreshadows a lot here. But um, Ron and Harry are back in like Professor Trelawney's divination class just kind of screwing around, really. Like, you know the one I'm talking about, right? They're just kind of screwing around, going back and forth, copying down answers of what they see as, A, this is like their kind of like foreshadowing prediction, but they're not really buying it. So first one is, uh, so this is going back, like Harry's going back to Ron, Ron's going back to Harry, vice versa kind of thing. So he goes, because, um, Mercury, uh, why don't, why don't you get stabbed in the back by someone you thought was your friend? So they're just like writing these down back and forth. Like, oh, I got this one. I got this one. Like, write this one down next. Yeah, cool, said Harry, scribbling it down. Because Venus is in the 12th house. And on Wednesday, I think I'll come off the worst in a fight. Ooh, ah, ah, Ron over here. I was going to have the fight. Okay, I'll lose a bet. Yeah, but you'll be betting I'll win my fight, it says Harry. So, like, those, it was a very small part, but if you think on that and really dissect that, that's something very big that we're going to talk about in these next next episodes coming up, if you think of that. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, you want to kick us off on interesting facts? I know you got a cool, you got an awesome one. I might even let you close us out with that one because that's like the biggest interesting fact. Before that, I've got a potential plot hole uh, that I want to oh, talk okay. about, but just one. I wrote down two, but I want to say with a disclaimer that I know why. So, like, I'm gonna disprove my own plot hole because, like, I want people to understand when we talk about certain things. So, on page 121. Remember when Ron tripped over his own feet in the uh, woods and like uh, because like they were running away from the Death Eaters at the Quidditch World Cup and Hermione says ah and lights her wand and says Lumos 
Technically, she is underage and used magic outside of school, but it's acceptable because it was in an emergency situation. And that's the that's the whole law is like inside like life threatening situation, you can use magic outside of school even if you're underage. So that's why that's not a plot hole. I wanted to put that to rest there. Second one, <clears throat> this one could be or couldn't be. It's easy to explain off and like it's an easy one to make an argument against. But I also believe that it, it could it could have been done better. Page 201, talking about Professor Trelawney. So in the second paragraph here, she goes, uh, uh, Born under what? Sorry, said Harry. Saturn, dear. The planet Saturn, said Professor Trelawney, sounding definitely irritated that he wasn't riveted by this news. I was saying that Saturn was surely in a position of power in the heavens at the moment of your birth. Your dark hair, your mean stature, tragic losses so young in life. I think I am right in saying, my dear, that you were born in midwinter? No, said Harry, I was born in July. Why I think that's really important, Professor Trelawney gave a very important prophecy that we will find out next book talking about someone born midsummer. And so she gave the prophecy of the... I want to say... So there's a prophecy that predicts kind of like what Harry went through in his life and why his life turned out the way it did. But basically my point is is that she knew that that person that she prophesied was born in the summer. Now, is it is it fair to say maybe she doesn't remember it because when she goes into that trance, she forgets what happened like in Azkaban, Azkaban when she like went to that trance and talked about the the servant returning to the dark lord, you know, she he goes, "What was that?" and she shook back and she's like, "What was what?" Like she didn't remember it. So yeah, technically it makes sense that she wouldn't remember that, but I just think that could have been a little bit of laziness that we could have we could have done with that. Like that didn't add anything to the story by putting that Harry was born in midwinter, that Trelawney predicted that. And what it does, it kind of takes away from her prophecy that we learn about next book. I might be being picky there, but do you kind of follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I follow what you're saying. That I could see it. Yeah, like that's not necessarily like a, a an end all be all one, and that's not like, like I said. That's more like I know it can be explained off because she doesn't remember her actual prophecies. I know that. Remember, she forgot the one from Askman. I get it. She doesn't remember her actual prophecies when she says them. But the fact is, is that she did still say it, and she knows, you know, when the person was born who ended up being the Dark Lord's true enemy. I'll say that, and that's how where I'll leave that at for the potential plot holes and just discrepancies. But so far. There's only been one really solid one that I talked about last week where a good like one-fourth of the way through the book, maybe one-third of the way through the book, and so far the writing's been so good that I could only pick out... I'm pretty picky when it comes to this stuff, and I've only picked out the one that I talked about last week. That's for sure one. These ones are just nitpicky me wondering you know, what could have been there. So, yeah. Outside of that, I'll let you take away interesting facts, and I'll end with my interesting fact after you go through yours. And that'll close us out for the day. But take away uh, the interesting facts that you got, my brother. Yeah, man. Um, so both these interesting facts, I will say, right? Uh, I kind of scammed over them a little bit uh, when we were talking about in Sorcerer's Stone with the different wands and and uh, houses and um, uh, schools and that sort of thing. Uh, but we kind of just skimmed over them. We didn't really go into them in that much detail. Actually, there's a really cool, interesting fact with wands that'll come up in a couple episodes that I'll bring up involving uh, Victor Crumb, but we'll bring that up much later on. But speaking of Victor Crumb, um, Drum, how do you say it? Durmstrang. Durmstrang, yeah. 
Durmstrang. I actually got it right this time. That's that's surprising. Durmstrang, as the uh, they always how they say like vampires or whatever. Durmstrang. Uh, so it was actually it's it is really. I would classify it honestly. It really is like known as probably, if not the biggest, one of the biggest wizarding schools that's ever been made. It was opened in 1294. Because of its old ways, they still do not admit Muggleborns up to this day. Um, it was founded in Nerda, Nerdi, Nerda, N E I R D A, Volchanova, which is V U L C H A N O V A. Speaking of what you're saying, uh, remember how you brought up how they can actually, you know, basically hide it on like a plot point? Um, that is the school that, that does that. Um, uh, Hartang Munter uh, is actually succeeded um, as one of the most known for their reputation there. They actually helped establish the school's reputation um, for martial magic um, that they're really known for um, and, and was one of the earliest on in like the 1200s. Current and most known students are Gellert Grindelwald, uh, Igor Krinkoff, Kakarov, Igor Kakarov. You know I'm terrible. Yeah, Kakarov. It's very similar to Goku's name, but with F, like Kakarov. Oh, almost like Kakarov. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. See, now I'll never forget it. Yeah. Um, And Victor Crumb, of course. It's four stories tall. On top of being, you know, mysteriously hidden on a plot point, um, it is actually enclosed in magical fires like they light these torches and it's enclosed inside it um, so it basically creates visibility shields so it's invisible uh, it is located in northern the most northern part of Europe and it's actually surrounded by two lakes and then mountains in the back and it's in the very center so it would actually be probably gorgeous if you saw it too bad it's invisible so you'll never see it um, it's coat of arms is a double-headed eagle, which is really interesting because I don't see them like associating with the eagle. So I thought that was very interesting there. Um, and then the other one I have uh, that's going to play a really big role when we start getting into this uh, tournament next episode is bow battens. Uh, and you're going to talk about you know them a little bit with your interesting fact, which is really awesome. But uh, they're um, a French wizarding school. Of course, and they're located in the Pyrenees Mountains of southern France. Um, students, it takes students from not just France, but also Spain, Portugal, Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Belgium. Um, its coat of arms is actually two golden wands that cross over, and the wands shoot out shooting stars. So I thought it was really awesome. Um, it was founded, same thing, founded before 1290. So, I mean, it's right up there with Hogwarts and Durmstrang. Um, they're really the oldest, probably. Um, but notable alumni, I mentioned this before, is Nicholas Flamel and his wife, Pernelli. I mean, that's pretty... It doesn't get any more notable than that, <laughs> I would probably say. Uh, and then, of course, you do have a, a couple other ones. Um, Vincent Dutrechtel Piquis. It's actually French, his last name. But interestingly enough, uh, that person is infamous, not really famous, but notable alumni. Uh, they were known 
for having escaped terror based on a casting charm. And what they were doing was they were poisoning food um, for muggles with charms and they had made a pastry shop. And it was like such a big pastry shop during the time over in France that it was basically like a serial killer on the loose, but they were like in putting charms in there. Um, Olympi Maxime, she was actually the headmistress of all French Ministry of Magic. So that's the other big notable one. Um, and then Fleur Decor, of course. Delacour. Uh, Fleur Delacour. Fleur Delacour. Delacour. Yeah. Fleur Decor. Fleur Delacour. Yeah. And um, it's actually surrounded um, by the most majestic gardens that anyone in the Wizarding World has ever seen by massive uh, fountains in the middle, which is really cool. Um, they're most known for their charms at that school as well. So, and with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to you for the big one, man. Did you have, did you, oh wait, no, because we talked about the other one. I know we talked about the dragon's blood already for Sorcerer's Stone, right? So we got, we were going to skip that one for this one. Yeah, cool. We, yeah. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so let's go in to talk a little bit about the Triwizard Tournament history. This is my interesting fact that we'll leave off, and I think this is amazing. So, the Triwizard Tournament was established approximately 700 years ago as a friendly competition between the Wizarding Schools, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, the Bow Benz Academy of Magic, and the Durmstrang Institute. It was held every five years. The competition would be hosted by each school in turn, and the judges for the tournament comprising the headmasters or headmistresses of the school. There have been at least 125 editions of the tournament. Hogwarts has 63 wins. Bow Bettens has 62 wins, which is crazy. That's very dang close. Uh, due to the risks involved in overcoming the extremely dangerous tasks and an increasing number of deaths, the tournament was eventually discontinued at some point in or after the 1790s. Obviously, multiple attempts have been made to revive the tournament, but none succeeded until this year here in, in Goblet of Fire. Now, in the 1792 Triwizard Tournament, and one of the, the tasks involved catching a cockatrice. Now, a cockatrice, guys, I want to go ahead and explain what type of animal this is. It has a rooster's head and a lizard's tail. A very interesting uh, creature here, okay? And uh, the, the cockatrice broke free and went on a rampage and injured the heads of, uh, the heads of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Registry Bow Battens and Durmstrang Institute. So it, uh, it, the etymology of this, it takes its name from both cock rooster and crocodile, which is old French for cockatrice. So that's where it gets its name from. So this thing's kind of freaking creepy. Uh, it, it's like a creature from medieval legends. It's first described in the 12th century, uh, described as a two-legged dragon with a rooster's head. The term basilisk and cockatrice are often used interchangeably in modern translations in some legends. So this, this thing is basically a badass creature, and because of that, it, uh, it, it led to multiple deaths, which is why it has been like, unsuccessful to revive the tournament for so long. So the event recorded in Hogwarts history indicated that 1792 was possibly held at Hogwarts. The tournament was canceled after this incident, and several unsuccessful attempts were made to resurrect it. So it's a little bit about that. And obviously there's stuff about the revival as well and things that kind of go in and talk to about this one here. But uh, 
those were some of the big things that I wanted to mention just about the, the history itself. There's also what's the, the ceremony of the weighing of the wands, which we'll get into later on. I don't want to ruin it, take our thunder from future episodes that we're going to do. But the weighing of the wands, the interviews with the champions, the fact that there's comprised of three major tasks that you have to complete, uh, all differing very levels of danger. Uh, only one champion is allowed to compete for each school, which well, that'll come up here pretty soon as well. So those are some of the biggest things that I have here for the history of the Triwizard Tournament. Was there anything that I missed out on that you took a note on, or did that pretty much encapsulate everything? No, man, you, you hit literally everything that I researched on that, because I was interested in it too. You, you killed it. The only thing I kept researching, trying to, and I couldn't get any answers on, and this raises a really interesting question, because think of it this way, right? And all I could get off this was just people going back and forth on Reddit. I really wish J.K. Rowling would say something about it, because it's kind of like that time turner thing where it might open up plot holes or something. Because keep in mind, the Triwizard Tournament was just created for these three schools. We've mentioned before how many wizarding schools are out there. There's so many. So you would think they would have something like this, so that's what I was trying to find out. The only thing I found was just people on Reddit said that it is possible that they have a tournament like this, but it would definitely be another format, and, but they do have rivalries at those schools. So my question is to you, don't you feel like J.K. Rowling should explain it a little more in detail? I think she put in a lot of detail into it. Uh, don't get me wrong. But just as far as, like, even now, even if you just made a comment on Pottermore or something, because there's so many schools out there that she does mention, but just for these three to have this one cup, I mean, I guess because of, like, tradition, but you would think the other schools would have come up with something. The, the other schools might have, but it does explain that this was hosted between the three largest European schools, which would which would encompass Durmstrang, Bobatons, and uh, and Hogwarts. Where you know if, if that that's those are the three largest ones and the oldest ones too. So as far as the other schools that we know do exist out there, you know with how many there are, maybe it would be difficult to do something like that. Maybe that's why they all sweat, settle for like inner house Quidditch. Maybe that's maybe that's their their way of going about it. Cause like imagine you know how hard it is already to set up this big tournament, have three judges being the headmasters from these three schools, all the politics that come into play there with them trying to get their champions to be the one that wins. Now imagine that with like fifteen hundred schools, it's not gonna work. Like you know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. That's my thought for us. No, no, that's a great a great thing. How would you kind of? Because the way I kind of always thought about it until we really started breaking it down like we have recently uh, with these books and, and shows, right? These books and uh, films, shows. Um, like when I was a kid, I always thought of it as kind of like, not like the World Cup, but almost like these Olympics they decided to put together for like these own, like just these schools, right? This barely ever happens. But then you're thinking about, like, these other schools. So it's not like, I would say, like, the Quidditch House Cup is kind of more like, say, if you play in, like, soccer or football, like, in that collegiate level against, like, your region. Like, I guess this is for the whole broad scale of Europe. But 
you would think because it includes like Europe, if it's like the Olympics or something, it would at least, I understand this is like tradition there. You would have something from these other schools somewhere else, or they would say, well, this includes everybody. Cause even going into the book, right? Say if even they only wanted to mention these three, even in the book, remember Ron, even in this book we're talking about, says Percy had a friend that was a Brazilian pen pal that went to the wizarding school there. So yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That It was, uh, what was it called? Charlie, not Percy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie, uh, yeah, yeah. Or maybe it was Bill. It was, it was, it was, either, it was either Bill or Charlie, uh, one of the older ones there. But yeah, no. So I, I know they make a point to mention the other schools. My only thought process is, is like, even with the Olympics, like you're saying, there has to be like qualifying times and stuff like that to qualify for these events. So I'm thinking like, how do you qualify for it? You know, and maybe it is just by, you know, size or maybe it's by test scores overall. Maybe at some point, you know, if you think about all the schools, you know, like the, the top schools in the United States, they're ranked based on the graduation rate, the number, like the grades and stuff. And like, I don't know, it's just hard to make a qualifier for every single thing. Because even with the Olympics, it's not like every single country that exists on Earth are invited to the Olympics and they all compete. Like there's thousands of countries that don't get to go just because they're not well known and they're smaller. Like, you know, so I don't, I don't know, man. It's, it's tough. They, she probably could do something, I guess. But to me, these other, the, these other schools aren't important enough to the story for, for me to actually care much about what happens with these. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, same thing. I just thought it was interesting because like in the same book, how you had like the Quidditch world cup with like Ireland versus Bulgaria. Like, you never hear about, like, an Ireland school, really. Like, you might hear about them, right? But you don't hear about, like, them doing anything like this, whereas they're competing in, like, the Quidditch World Cup. So, I just thought it was interesting. But, no, this has been a, a good one today. You want to yeah, dude, breaking it down for us? Absolutely, yeah. guys. Thanks so much for sticking with us here. We're keeping the Hogwarts Express rolling on. Uh, you know, we're stuck here right in the middle of book four, Goblet of Fire. So far, last week, we tackled chapters one, the Riddle House, through chapter uh, eight, which was the Quidditch Cup final. Today, we tackled chapters nine, which was the Dark Mark, through chapter 14, Unforgivable Curses. Next week, we're going to be tackling uh, chapter um, 15 through 21. And then that's where we'll, we'll pick this up next week doing that. But uh, yeah, like we got to start doing again. I mentioned this last week. We're going we're gonna to get back into the habit of uh, telling you guys not only thank you, but uh, if you like what you hear, you love the content that Chase and I produce, please click like, subscribe, comment, leave reviews, send us emails, however you want to correspond the easiest way for you. We're out there on every single platform. We love the interaction. It helps us do what we do here. The more interaction that we get with you guys, the more ratings that we get, the more ratings that we get, the better funded we are, the better funded we are, the more things we can bring to this podcast and for you guys, which is exactly what we do this entire thing for. So uh, if you've got any friends that are interested in fantasy, word of mouth is always one of the best ways. Tell them about it. We love all all shapes and size of fantasy fans, the diehards, the ones who are just getting into it, the ones that like it when there's nothing better to do. We accept everybody over here at Factor Fantasy. We love you guys. And with me saying that, this one has been another ridiculous production. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. sorry my my, my fault, bro. <laughs> no, you're good, man. No worries. I'm usually the one, like, rushing us off here. I was just going to say, uh, you know, check us out on Instagram as well. You know, we're on there. That's, that's really kicking off. I was going to let you all know on Instagram, too, one thing we do 
because we really appreciate all the reviews you guys do. Our top reviews that we get, of course we can't post everybody's, but like our top reviews a lot of times, what we'll do is I'll actually, you know, we'll screenshot those, Josh and I, because we read them and we'll put them up on Instagram. So if you leave us a top review on there, um, you know, we'll put it up there uh, for people to see. So it means a lot, everything you guys do um, and just following us from the beginning. But yeah, now I'll let you break it down, man. And let's keep this Hogwarts train a roll in the next few weeks. You got it, brother. This here has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off. Oh.